0: Previously on Star Wars Beyond the Films. A lot of books, a good chunk.
1: Hey, you guys. <laughs> Sorry, I was I was looking for Chunk. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away.
0: You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films. The
1: official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. <laughs>
0: That's right, Westler. welcome to episode 159 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW SWBeyondFilms. But enough about how you got here, let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Element. and with me like a guy who's got nothing, the EU guru himself, the count of two continuities, Mr. Nathan P.
1: Butler. Oh man, see, that hurts. Not because I got nothing, but because it reminded me of For the Man Who Has Lost Everything, the title of the last two-part story by... Tom Taylor of Injustice Gods Among Us' is year three digital comics. God, I love that series. Tom Taylor, a Star Wars alum, is now gone from the series. And That sucks. If you haven't read Injustice Gods Among Us, folks, it's probably the best alternate reality DC comic story you will ever read, if not the best DC comic story you will ever read, which is kind of sad for the rest of DC comics because it has to be an alternate universe to rock. But that's beside the point, I suppose.
0: Kind of like Legends.
1: You mean it used to be the point? (laughs) And this is, by the way, also a quick chance for a quick reminder, folks. Don't forget, if you want to win the original two-disc widescreen DVD releases of all three prequel films from their original releases in 2001, 2002, and 2005, plus that bonus The Story of Star Wars DVD that was released as a pack-in bonus feature for those buying Revenge of the Sith in 2005 at Walmart stores, You can still enter to win that all the way up until March 15th, the Ides of March, by emailing us at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com, putting DVD giveaway in the subject line, and putting your mailing address, in case you win, inside the body of the email. Good luck!
0: At Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions, questions that have bothered you for a long, long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. In this episode, we continue to explore the concept of formats. Be they digital, physical, single trade, or omnibus, we look at the ups, downs, the trials, the tribulations that each of you fans faces in regards to the formats that best fit our individual collections. Now, consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because Here we go, on another adventure beyond the films.
1: that's right. Last time we took a look at the concept of formats, and again, it's not so much that we're talking about it just in terms of, hey, let's talk about the formats. We want to keep this in the context of Star Wars fans. Whether you're a collector or not, whether you collect the particular types of media we're talking about in this episode or not, or in the last episode, one of the things you're going to face is the choice between formats. If you're a partaker, if that's even a word, a partaker of story group canon or legends continuity. If you're going to be taking in Star Wars storytelling in some form or another, then you're going to face the question of, well, do I get this book in paperback or hardback or ebook? Do I get this comic digitally, a trade paperback, a single, and so on? We took a look last time at formats for prose fiction in terms of publishing, not so much, hey, look, there's this short story type. Yeah, that's a type, but that in and of itself isn't going to be a format to purchase it in. It's an anthology more, if that's the case, or as a a bonus feature of some other thing like Star Wars Insider in that case. We want to think more in terms of how you might wind up picking something up for purchase. So we looked at novels or prose fiction. We looked at video games. Now we're going to take a look at the topics of comics, videos, not video games, but videos, and then briefly touch on as brief as we can be, the last one wound up being about two hours on basically three topics. Uh, Take a look at, if you're talking about signed items, what are some formats in which you could get those signed items and which ones stand out to us personally, which is a topic echoed in uh, from the Star Wars library before that went on hiatus, and adaptations and tie-ins. When it comes to adaptations and tie-ins, do you need every version of something, and does it make a difference if it's an adaptation or a tie-in on whether you do or not. So, approaching picking up things that play into your love of Star Wars beyond the films. And in this case including them because videos included. So let's start with the big one, the comics. I think this is probably the one where uh we both have a lot of experience with it, but I would say that just with the time we spent working in comic shops, both of us um that maybe we got a different perspective on it hopefully than just a consumer. But we are certainly consumers ourselves. When it comes to comics, running them down, because there's a lot of different formats to look at here. Uh, We'll try to hit them briefly each. You've got singles, meaning individual comic issues, usually not entire stories in and of themselves anymore. Trade paperbacks, collections usually of one story. Omnibus editions, bigger collections with even more stories included. Prestige format, which has different ways of being defined, prestige format usually is going to be something that's uh, a little more condensed, sort of digest size. When we're talking about those from Dark Horse Comics, maybe a little bit bigger than a digest size and usually for something that is slightly overpriced, but a unique form of content that you wouldn't see in a regular comic or digest. Uh hardcovers, like literally hardcover trade paperbacks usually of comics. Limited editions like with the Star Wars where you could get a book that had All kinds of special features with the hardback, and it's usually a limited numbered edition or something like that, which you can also get with novels that we'll touch on briefly. Uh, Variant covers, which we dealt with a lot recently. Uh, Star Wars number one from Marvel, according to one count, would appear to have a hundred different variants, according to, I think it was Newsarama, though I think the current count of variants and versions that we know of is up into the upper 80s at this point, which is still ridiculous. Digital comics including looking at the different apps you could use for digital comics, old-school magazine-sized comics that you don't tend to see very much these days anymore, old-school paperback book-type reprint-sized comics, like Marvel Illustrated Books Numbers 1 and 2, including two being World of Fire, graphic novels, which in this case we're going to define graphic novels not as just deeper, darker storytelling in larger trade paperback style format, because to me that's sort of a trade paperback concept, um, but graphic novels like Dark Forces, when it turned out to be prose fiction with images interspersed every so many pages, but printed by a comic book company as part of their line as opposed to a book company, and then the aforementioned digest-sized comics. Good Lord, there's a lot of them, and that's not even talking comic strips, which I guess we could sort of fit in here as a side topic. Uh... Mark, where do you fall on the... Just kick us off. There's so much ground to cover. Cover a bunch.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. I mean, you know, for me, being a longtime comic fan, you know, I started with Marvel. Uh, I was big into Spider-Man. So, at the time, it was the late 90s. There were so many different versions. You know, you had Web of Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man. Just Spider-Man. I think it was like four or five and they had maximum carnage that went into all of it. So, you know, I, I'm familiar with a lot of aspects of the comics through that kind of stuff. But when it comes to the Dark Horse side of thing, I actually got into that later. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't until I got back into comics after, you know, I said in our feedback episodes when the comic stores closed down and stuff and it came back. Uh, that was when I started to really get back into it. And then I realized there were a lot more Star Wars comics than I ever thought. Uh, and even then, like the digest ones are still the last ones. I haven't collected as many of those. I think I've got maybe eight or nine of those. Um, But I do have some really cool rare ones. I've got a oh, I have six omnibuses Um and I, I dig them for what they are. I mean, for me, when it came to it, because of how I was already collecting, I was already collecting them as single issues. Uh, that was how I was consuming them. You know, they would come in each week. I'd get it. I hated to wait. It was that aspect of like with last episode with the books. I didn't like waiting a year to get my paperback. So it was the same thing there. Um, moving into 2015, though, I have for the first time ever told my comic store that was Star Wars comics. I don't want them in singles. Uh, I've made the choice moving forward from Legends that my canon comics, I'm going to collect them in trades. Uh, and my main reason is because, like I said, I'm, I'm with Canon, I'm planning on collecting the hardcovers and I got a different shelf for that. And I've seen some really cool shelves that they did the hardcovers and they had their trades and all that stuff and they all look really nice. So I'm hoping to do that with my Canon stuff. So I got to step away from the singles. The other side of comic collecting that drives me nuts is, OK, I've got a box. And even with that box, with me having certain comics that I've told them, you know, I want this one pulled and that one pulled and this one pulled. OK, uh, right now I'm doing Spider-Man, Spider-Verse, and there is a side story in that of three issues called Scarlet Spiders, where the new Kane Parker, who's the Scarlet Spider now, is with Ben Riley while he's playing Spider-Man because there's this whole universe jumping thing and then an alternate Spider or Black Widow. And they're on this mission. Well, the shipment of number ones that came to the comic book store were damaged and to the point they couldn't sell them. Well, so I got no number one. There's no reprints. It wasn't that that big of a seller. So there's no reprints on it. So I've got number two and I'm waiting for number three and I'm never going to get that conclusion to number one. And this happens surprisingly more often than you would think when you collect more than just a few comic titles. When you especially with Marvel. Okay, we're moving into a Marvel world here, Star Wars fans, and trust me, it can get chaotic when you've got X-Men, All-New X-Men, Uncanny uh, X-Men, Beyond Uncanny, there's a couple other ones out there, there's so many different versions, oh, there's Wolverine in the X-Men, Spider-Man in the X-Men, and they're all set in the same universe for the most part, so there's ultimate X-Men. I mean, it's just chaotic. The many versions of this that you have. So there's, there's that angle going forward that I'm like, Oh, please don't go there. Uh, but dark horse has provided some really cool things over the years when it comes to the premium type stuff. Uh, one of them that I got that I really get a kick out of is a hard cover. Uh, it is called Luke Skywalker last hope of the galaxy. And it's got this really cool leather like case that it slips into. And it was 99 95 at the time I got it. It, this sucker is monstrous and it collects comics, you know, from uh, Rebellion, uh, the Marvel comics, I believe the ones with Lamia's in this, uh, you know, or Lumia, however you say it, I, I always say her name wrong. And it's just it's just brilliant how it collects a plethora of just stuff. It isn't just like one story. Uh, the other ones I've got like that, I've got the Dark Empire Trilogy and the Thrawn Trilogy. Those are probably some of the few adaptations when it comes to the Thrawn Trilogy. Uh, and another one that's of my comic stuff that I really get a kick out of. I've got the complete star Wars 30th edition, uh, 30th anniversary set. Uh, it's got 12 volumes. I have every single one of those. And what's cool about those is they are a, they were only as many as were ordered were printed, no reprints, any of that. So it's the only ones that exist were the amount that were originally ordered. They didn't have a number. Like we're going to print out 500 of them. It was however many of these are ordered. That's it. No reprints, none of that. So, they have a really cool rareness to them that I really get a kick out of. But when it comes to the rest of my comic collection, so I've got mostly small boxes and then I've got two long boxes, which, you know, many of you beyonders you've seen, you've heard about the chaos with my comic collection. So my legends comics all fit in those two long boxes. That's every star Wars comic right there. Aside from the the little digests and stuff, that's all of them in singles. Aside from a couple, Like I said, the six omnibuses that are on a different shelf, they all fit in those two long boxes. It's insane. I've got them in a timeline order and all that. But the other reason why I'm switching to collecting them in trades is when they're sitting in that box, I can't tell if those are my Marvel or anything else. I know that those are my Star Wars because I put them in those two. But my other ones and like my 30th anniversaries, they're in the short boxes. Once I set them on the shelf, unless I'm marking on the outside of that box what's in it and most of you guys that collect comics and have multiple series know your comic boxes are always changing because the series you have in there are continuing to grow not all of them are, are finished you know i mean spider-man went from amazing spider-man to superior spider-man for 33 issues and then they reboot spider-man and now there's another amazing spider-man starting at number one so my spider-man file is pretty dang big i had to move the wolverine stuff to a whole nother area well wolverine he's doing the stuff with x-force he's doing this stuff over here he's doing the stuff with the avengers so i've got you know. Marvel side of things when it comes to the Marvel comics is just chaotic. At least Star Wars has one continuity that I could just track and, and, and follow. So there's that aspect. But you've got all these covers. And that was the thing about it that I always liked was there was always a different single cover. And there was always these letter pages in the back of the books. I always really enjoyed that. But over the course of this last year, two years, we've really been focusing on comics. And one thing became very abundantly clear to me. Is that the way I was digesting these comics by getting them in a single one week, another single the next week or one single this week and another single two weeks from now was the story was always fragmented. And then once I went back and reread it, there was always this feeling of an epiphany. Like suddenly now the story made sense, (laughs) you know, like reading it in bits and starts just didn't quite do the same thing. So there's that aspect as well.
1: And yet Ninth Assassin still sucked right? Yeah,
0: exactly. Some of them just suck really hard, but there's that aspect of, you know, then you move into the trade paperbacks where it's a bigger collection. It takes a little longer. I like the fact that with my singles, I can grab it. I can read it and be done real quick. Uh, The trades take a little longer. When I get to the omnibus, I almost find it as big a chore as reading a book because it's so big. I mean, sometimes you're looking at 300, 400 pages and stuff. Great deal, you know, at 25 bucks or 22 bucks, you know, whatever it is. But it definitely turns the reading of the comic into more of a chore for me. It's not a bad chore, but it's not something I could just sit down and, and knock out real fast like I could with the other one. So there's these angles of that, of the, you know, do I get it in the singles? Do I get it in the trades as I go forward? Well, some of the earlier stuff that I missed in singles, I started getting it in trades because I felt it was a little cheaper. It was easier to find it all. And some of them didn't slip through my hands. The problem there with the trades was some of the bindings and the spines really sucked. You get one of those with a bad spine and it's like, what the hell? My whole comic shot. You also have that same problem when it comes to the single issues with the staples. Sometimes those center pages kind of slip through the staples or just enough of it rips that that first page comes out. So there's those kind of downsides as well. The Omnibus, you could have the same thing with its binding, but I've been very lucky. None of mine have, have had that same issue. The one cool thing, though, that I really enjoy are these hardcover ones, though, because the bindings on those are super cool. But again, they're such a novel that reading these books like the uh, Dark Empire and the and the Thrawn trilogy, they're just so big that that it becomes beyond a chore. It, it's it's one of those things where you're taking almost a week to read it unless you really have like a good chunk of time. Like I, I don't know if I could sit down and read this all the way through without falling asleep. I mean, it's just that big.
1: <laughs> I am the opposite, at least as far as the collecting approach goes. Uh, as he's moved from singles to trade paperbacks, I've gone the other way. I mentioned this on the show before, that at one time I was picking up Star Wars stories. It didn't really matter how I was picking them up. I was just getting them however I could. Uh, so I wound up with stuff like, uh, oh, I missed an issue of Dark Empire 2. Well, this is before I was on eBay or anything like that, so I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll just get the trade paperback so I at least have that part of the story that I missed. Um, as time went on, I eventually decided, no, I'm going to do that whole first format collecting thing. and If I'm going to do that for the books and get the hardbacks as hardbacks, then you know what? I'm going to get the comics as singles. So I sold off most of the trade paperbacks, and now it's a huge collection of Star Wars single comics. It's... um. I want to say it's three long boxes now, I think is what it is. Um, But I don't collect stuff like the Lego comics, so in that case it would be even bigger if I had collected those as well. I just go for the stuff that's in continuity or stuff that's parodies, but they're, you know, Dark Horse published or whatever. I guess now it'll be Marvel if they decide to publish any of them. Uh, Trade paperbacks are good as far as collecting things, and I do agree that reading stories all in one sitting, you get more out of it, especially something like Knights of the Old Republic, where there's those little in-jokes built in and the small little hints built in that you may forget between, you know, one month and the next or even longer if we're talking about something like Dark Times where there was longer between issues and longer between storylines. That Maybe, maybe that played a role in me not liking Dark Times all that much. I doubt it. Kind of sucks. But maybe that was part of why I never really got engaged with those characters was because of how long it was between them. Maybe if we had read them all together at once and that was the first experience, it would have been a different feeling. Um,
0: yes. Six months is quite a long time between issues.
1: Yeah. Um, what's funny is, though, one of my favorite comic series of all time that wound up kind of petering out at the end was Rising Stars by J. Michael Straczynski, the guy that did Babylon 5, and there was a dispute between him and the publisher, Top Cow, so I think they went a year without an issue before coming back with a really kind of rushed-feeling, quick last few issues, Uh, and that I was so hardcore about, I was reviewing it for a website at the time, the Babylon 5 Spoiler Junkies page, I don't even know if it exists anymore, and... You know, I just kept right up with it. To me, that year wasn't a huge deal, even though it sucked to have to wait that long. But for some reason, some stories, the more intricate they are, you know, you need to have that you know, immediacy of when you get the next part of the story. Uh, as such, I like the idea of omnibus editions. Yeah, I don't collect them. I collect the singles. But for the price, it's awesome. If it's a good price. If it's a reasonably priced set of reprints. Uh, the Dark Horse Omnibus series was great because what you got was a low price for a lot of issues. Compared to the trade paperbacks of those issues or getting the singles, it was always a good deal. Or you were, you know, kind of breaking even, but it had extra stuff in it you could only get there because it wasn't reprinted somewhere else before, like some of the Wild Space Volume 2 things. What Marvel is now doing, and I hate to constantly dump on Marvel because it sounds like i got something against Marvel itself. I don't. I have no issue with Marvel as a company. DC, yeah, I like Marvel stuff. In fact, generally, I think Marvel has been better at a lot of things than DC ever has been. Um, I like the Marvel characters more than the DC characters, unless it's alternate universe type stuff like Injustice. But Marvel, aside from their variant cover issue, I'm not even going to touch the variant cover thing, other than to say that the way that Marvel is dealing with it now is kind of ridiculous. But we've discussed it in depth so often recently. I'm just going to let it go for now. Um, but now they got a whole new issue, which is these new omnibus editions they're coming out with. Uh, the Legacy Collection. Whether it's Knights of the Old Republic or the one for the New Republic that has various stories in it, like Mara Jade by the Emperor's Hand, or whether it's something else, what they're doing is hardback collections of these. And hardback collections with an omnibus amount of content, it seems, of their old original series. Except with them being hardbacked, They're at insane prices, right? Whether it's $100 Mm -hmm. or something like that for these. Yeah. That, to me, is the opposite of doing something that is for the fans and a good deal. That, to me, is ridiculous. That's a collector's, a diehard, super crazy collector-only type thing. Especially with them reprinting their own stuff that way. When you could just have easily have gotten that as the Omnibus stuff from Dark Horse for much less of a price tag. And something a little more portable. It's paperback. It's not as heavy. It's not as big. Um, so a, a heavy collected edition with a lot of issues in it, like an omnibus, is great if they're approaching it from the standpoint of trying to give value to the customer. If it's just them sort of tooting their own horn saying, see, we've got the license now. We're going to have a license to print money for a while. Buy this. No, not gonna. Not gonna happen. Um, prestige format, Uh, The only thing I think of in that sort of weird middle ground format that I think of is when they took the Marvel stuff and reprinted a handful in ridiculously mixed up order that was in black and white. The first time they had classic Star Wars a long time ago, before the trade paperbacks where they colored them and reprinted the whole series, before the omnibus where they collected them again. Um, Those were all right, but generally I find that for the content that you get, a lot of times they're kind of overpriced. So I'm not a big fan of that type. Same thing with hardcovers of trade paperbacks. It's cool if it's something that was groundbreaking. Like, I've got a hardcover of Batman The Dark Knight Returns. I've got a hardcover of Kingdom Come. Those were major seminal moments in, in that case, if they're both DC, publishing history. Those were big deal type things to have as a hardback. Doing something like that with, say, Dark Empire, that really would be something that matters. Maybe even the first arc of this upcoming Star Wars series from Marvel. Though if you know what they do, a hardcover, it'll be a hardcover with, like, 30 different covers. Or they'll have a separate one you can buy that's nothing but a gallery of the variants of number one. Um, but it needs to be something remarkable to warrant the price tag on that sort of thing. Doing it just for the Darth Vader series, especially stuff like Ninth Assassin. Why? Just because it's Darth Vader? You know, and... Nothing against Hayden Blackman. I liked his two stories in it, especially Ghost Prison. But to have that be a line that you just sort of randomly decide to do hardbacks with doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, Legacy rocked. Legacy has hardcover editions. That's cool, and it kind of justifies it more than something like the Darth Vader stuff, but even then I still think it's kind of ridiculous that you've already got these other versions and now here's some hardbacks of these for no particular reason whatsoever other than hey it's a license to print money because people like this series. Um, Same thing goes with limited editions like with the Star Wars to me. When you do something like that, there needs to be a reason for it. With the Star Wars, if you're really into it and you really wanted to commemorate it, okay. Get the one with all the extra frills and stuff. That's cool if that's your thing, but at least that justified it. You wouldn't want to see that for, you know, Tag bink Binker Dead. Wouldn't make sense to have that type of thing. Uh, Same thing with novels. Kind of on a side note, I've actually got for the novelizations of Phantom Menace and Revenge of the Sith. I have the slip-cased versions that are the limited edition, numbered, and signed by the author edition. Those things, that's kind of a big deal. They don't tend to do that very often with Star Wars books and, hey, I wanted to get those signed if I could anyway. But even then, I'm sure there's people who say, well, that's kinda ridiculous. It's just novelizations of the films. It's not even original stories. To me, it's really sort of your mileage will vary when it comes to the Limited editions. If it's something you love, go for it. If not, why bother?
0: Uh, well, there's two quick things I want to mention here. There is a downside to non-singles as well, because I know some of the trade paperbacks and stuff where you'll get them where issues aren't there or never collected. Uh, so there's that downside that, like, it just dawned on me. I'm like, wait a minute. I still remember Legacy, where that whole, you know, the hondo car stuff was left out in certain ones and then collected later, you know, completely out of order. Uh, uh, but you, know, you mentioned in the price of these Marvel ones, and I'm holding this this Luke Skywalker Last Hope of the Galaxy. It has got uh 832 pages. You can get it right now on sale for about 80 bucks, but it was 100 bucks at the time. Now, these new Star Wars ones from Marvel have got 880 pages with a price of around 125 bucks. That's still steeper than this one, but it does have a little bit more pages. Uh it, So, I mean, like, I don't know. At first I was like, wow, that's a ridiculous amount, you know, thinking about it as a, as an omnibus, but it, they are collecting more than what the omnibuses are collecting at a significant price increase. Plus it is a hardcover, but it would be nice if they offered stuff that wasn't hardcover and in that ridiculous amount. Um, I mean, there is there is that insult to injury that it has got such a huge price tag, plus the added aspect of it's a totally different format. So are you going to have all of these this way? I mean, that one I have of Luke Skywalker and the Last Hope for the Galaxy. It isn't with any of my comics. I just have it up on my other shelf because it is just impressive looking, you know. (laughs) So, I mean, that's the other side of it, too, is like based on the different formats, I've got them in different spots. My omnibuses, they're over here with my hard covers of the uh, Thrawn trilogy and that with the rest of my other hardcovers they're not even with the comics so you know there's those kind of things too I mean it just blew my mind though I didn't think that these new Marvel ones were that many pages I had only heard like they only had like 430 something pages I'm reading here that they got 880 so I'm like wow okay well that at least that makes the price tag being over 100 a little more understandable But 125 it still does kind of feel like we're milking it a little bit on this whole, we're bringing it home, and boy, we're going to milk this baby.
1: What they mean is bringing home the bacon. Lots of cash. Mm -hmm. Uh, Skipping over digital for a moment, we can come back to that kind of the last topic here. Uh, The old school formats. Um, I remember when you used to be able to a lot of times buy magazine-type comics. Not comics in magazines, like with Star Wars magazine or Clone Wars magazine. Uh, but with something like, for instance, when Terminator 2 came out, I got the comic adaptation of Terminator 2, I think it was, and it was a magazine-sized version of the comic adaptation that you could have got as singles or a trade paperback done as a magazine. They did the same thing with reprints a lot of times of the Star Wars comics, and to a degree, you could sort of think of that as the way that they dealt with some of the Marvel UK stuff. But Marvel UK was an actual magazine with comics inserted more like the recent Clone Wars and and Star Wars magazine stuff. But those, for some reason, I guess because at the time when they were big, I wasn't into collecting to collect comics. Like It took me... When I was young, I used to read some Transformers comics. Not many, but a handful. But it was always ones I got at the grocery store, off the rack. Didn't really care about the condition. I just wanted to read the thing because it was Transformers, starting with like issue 30-some-odd or something like that. But Mm. then... I mean, I still remember my first comic that wasn't Star Wars was the introduction of the Scraplets in the Marvel Transformers series, if that means anything to anybody else. Um, It took me going to the first comic shop I ever went to, Book Broker, which nowadays apparently is a good store, for a while it was run by complete jerkwads, but it's the only place you could go in the town. It was a comic shop. Um, But you would buy your comics, and I was like, wow, they come in these bags and boards to protect them. That's kind of neat. Until eventually that's how I would want to always store them, but it took me a while to get into that. And in the era in which these magazine-sized comics were big, I wasn't into the collecting side of it, and I wouldn't even have thought about getting a magazine bag like you get a comic bag and board. So they tended to always get really, really torn up for me. So for whatever reason, whether it's that or something else, I- I've never really gravitated toward that type. And by the same token you don't tend to see a lot of the paperback book-sized comics anymore. And for whatever reason, I think the only one of those I ever owned that wasn't like Snoopy or something was, aside from the the Star Wars Marvel ones that I picked up much, much later, the only one I actually owned when it was released was Untold Legend of the Batman. And it was stories that already existed in another format that they put into this paperback size. But when they do that, most of the time they become... Black and white instead of colored. Uh, In the case of Star Wars, the first one, Marvel Illustrated book Star Wars with with the UK stores being reprinted. Number one was black and white. Number two was in color. Or it was the other way around, I forget. I guess it's actually the other way around. Um, But they always have to sort of take the panels and divide them up a different way. Because if you try to squish down an entire comic page into an omnibus... Sometimes that's taking away some of the detail and makes it a little bit harder to read depending on the size. You squish it down even more into, into like a paperback book size, it's very hard to read. So they would grab, you know, a couple panels at a time for each page, which made them much longer, but really it was the same content you were getting elsewhere. Another thing that's not really all that big anymore, I mean, you see it with manga at times, but I mean, you don't see it really with standard, you know, U.S. comics anymore, but that's something I'm kind of glad has, has gone away. Leave the bookshelf for the books, the comic boxes for the comics in those cases. Uh, same thing with comic strips. You don't really see much in the way of serialized Star Wars comic strips anymore. Last time we really got a chance to see that was with what they did with, with, sort of with the Clone Wars uh, and the Old Republic, but that wasn't really comic strips. It was comics, regular-sized pages released, serialized. But something like uh, the Hyperspace Web Strips or the old uh, Manning and uh, Goodwin-Williamson strips that were out there. Um, I mean, cool stories, but not something that was really realistic to try to to collect, just something you'd realistically grab to read. Unless you're going and getting them and saving them off the website when it was up there, or you're getting reprints that they do as that Russ Cochran set that I've got, or perhaps classic Star Wars where they reprinted most of the newspaper strips in different forms over the years. And you're not really going to collect these. That's why one of the things that fascinates me a lot when I see people have them online is there are people who who were around back then or had family who were around back then and kept them who have all of the Star Wars newspaper strips in the actual newspapers like in scrapbooks and such because that's not mm-hmm. something I would ever think about getting to keep it's a comic strip and yet they did it nowadays I, I guess it would be a no brainer I'd see it and I'd grab it and just have to have it but At the time, I never would have thought about that as collecting, you know, clipping stuff out of newspapers for for stuff like the Kennedy assassination or the Challenger disaster as as like at that moment in time. And where were you and how did your community cover this? It was not for, you know, serialized stories. It wasn't like people were keeping, you know, huge stacks of Garfield comic strips cut out of the papers. Why do it for Star Wars? And yet now it's a very rare type of collecting to see somebody in. But it's really cool when we do see it. I guess the other two to hit before we eventually hit digital. Digest-sized, same thing for me as prestige format. Overpriced for the content that you get, because usually when it's Star Wars comics that are digest-sized, it's nice to have them feel kind of like a book when you're reading them, and you get slightly longer stories, but usually because the price tag is higher and not many people are going to read them compared to regular comics, you wind up with stories that are fluff and throwaway that don't really matter anyway, like Clone Wars Adventures and things like that. Uh And then you do have the graphic novels that... Uh, I have a little bit of experience with, uh, I, I guess a lot of these I have a little bit of experience with. My Star Wars Tales story was an anthology story inside Tales 21, so that was a single issue. Then it was collected in Volume 6, and it did not get a comic pack. but we've talked about that before, and that's not really a format of the comic itself. Um, but the first story that I wrote for the Wars, the Battle of Phobos series was Healers and Hunters. And before it was ever released as an e- ebook novella and then collected as one of three stories in the Preludes paperback, there was an illustrated edition that was basically set up the way that uh, the Dark Forces graphic novels were set up. Where it's basically prose fiction, but every few pages there's art, which makes it kind of neat to see the artwork of the scenes. And in the case of Star Wars, you had the Dark Forces ones that were in paperback at one point. And before that, they were in hardback. They even got audio dramas, by the way. Um, I got to say, even being someone who's had some of my work published in this form, I'm actually not a fan of graphic novels in this sense. The prose fiction with the art put in. Because usually the art, I feel, doesn't add a lot to the experience. I'm there for the story. And usually it jacks up the price significantly on whatever it is that you're buying. So I'd much rather have just a paperback book or even a hardback book at that price, then usually have a graphic novel, because usually it means less page count than a regular novel, yet a higher price tag because the art is in there, but not enough art to justify the tag, the price tag.
0: Now the Kyle Cartan ones or Cartan ones, it's Cartan, right? Catarne. Cartarne. The the Kyle Cartan the there's the novels, there's like three of them, but they also did those in a comic format of the same thing, though, right? I mean, it's no. not a comic, well, it's the same yes no. book, just...
1: It just... It's just a paperback. It's there. It's the size of a comic, basically, but it's a hardback with a a dust jacket over it originally, and they just took that and took the dust jacket art and made it into the art of a trade paperback style one. But it's still the same content inside. It's not like the content changed. It's, okay. it's, it's the equivalent of hardback I
0: have back. I have, yeah, I have Two of those in the hardback where it sits on my bookshelf. And then the third one is in that comic form and it's
1: with my comics. So like, I have no idea where to put it. Like, is it a comic or is it a book? <laughs> and it's Dark Horse, right? So you were thinking comics. So yeah, it should be with the comics.
0: Yeah, uh, I just got to say, though, I'm, I'm, I'm completely surprised that you wouldn't go out of your way to collect the Daily Bugles strip of comics. I mean, that was the only place you could see the coveted Luke and Leia
1: sex scene. Oh, Lord. I really hope that's not such a real thing. I, I don't think it's a real thing. But then again, they weren't meant to be brother and sister to begin with. So we'll see. Now, real quick, I, I want to know when it comes to prices,
0: you know, the comic prices have slowly gone up and stuff today versus back in the day. Uh, but with the prices of them going up now, we're looking, especially moving to Marvel at $3.99 per comic for just a single issue. Uh, You know, do you think you're getting the same amount of quality out of your comics when the arc is all over and you get your trade paperback of that stuff at the whatever price versus what you're paying for a book? Because you definitely get a heck of a lot more pages in a book for $7.99 than you're getting with this comic. Granted, there's a lot more going into the creative side, the the drawing, the art, the penciling and that. But
1: for the prices, how would you compare the two? You know... I tend to get more enjoyment for a longer period of time out of a novel. But at the same time, I recognize a novel doesn't have the artistic side to it, the visual side to it. So I'm not sure that it's a fair comparison. I guess I would compare getting a hardback novel to getting an omnibus. The price is pretty close, and I'm going to get about as much time and enjoyment out of it. Comics right now, as the price tags have gone up, it doesn't seem like the quality of the comics, the quality of the... Uh, the style of artwork necessarily, the quality of the paper has justified a lot of the jumps in prices. I'm sure there is a justification for it somewhere along the production line of things, but it just doesn't seem like it's justified it as much. Like, I'm going through and reading, uh, I, I feel like I keep referencing DC Comics a lot this time, and I, I swear I'm not a huge DC Comics fan outside of some of the movies and the alternate universe stuff usually, but I love history of entertainment media. So along with reading Marvel Chronicle and Star Wars year by year, I've been reading Batman, a visual history. And it's interesting to see how the prices just stayed solo and then jumped, then jumped, jumped, jumped. And you look at the inflation of that time. Inflation wasn't accounting for that entire jump in prices. Some of it was just, this is what the market will bear, so we're going to start charging it until we see our numbers drop off. Then we'll might maybe, you know, cut back on the price of the thing. But certainly... You're getting less bang for your buck, I think, these days in terms of comic price versus content than if you were to get a trade paperback or an omnibus. That's why those, I guess, are so appealing. I actually, with Marvel, am taking a chance. Uh, You mentioned, you know, damaged comics coming into the comic shop and not being able to get a particular issue through the comic shop because of it. I never really had a lot of issues with damaged comics through the comic shops, whether it was the one run by the jerks early on or the one that I worked at for a while there. But I've had a hell of a time with Things From Another World, which is that online store that is where Dark Horse uh, goes to like, their official site that they link to and everything um, through their website and all. I think it's because I just have a horrid, or had, a horrid male person, which is why I was so shocked when Star Wars Insider showed up pretty much pristine uh, earlier this week because we have a new male person. But I would constantly get these hard cardboard packages with two or three comics in them Bent all to hell. Every single time, whether it came to my mailbox or to my wife's post office box, always bent to crap. Even if it was sitting at the door and they didn't even try to put it into a mailbox, bent all to crap. And don't even start on the whole issue of the Clone Wars magazine. They had all kinds of issues on their distribution end of things. Same thing with Star Wars magazine in the U.S., but the magazines, because of the mail, always showed up. They're not in a bag or anything, torn all to crap. Constantly having to get the comics replaced. Constantly calling up to have the magazine replaced. Because I'm not paying for something that's showing up beating all the crap. And if they don't want to have to replace it, pack it in something sturdier. Even though, frankly, I don't think that getting to my doorstep as a piece of mail should be like trying to walk through the streets (laughs) of Beirut in the 80s. Um, But because of the price and the deal involved, I've stepped up and said, you know what, I'm going to give it a shot for one year, and I have subscribed to Star Wars, Darth Vader, and Princess Leia through Marvel's subscription service for the first time that gets filled through Mile High Comics. We'll see whether this winds up being something worthwhile, or if I've just set myself up for a lot of damaged comics showing up.
0: <laughs> well, one thing I want to mention before we get away from the pricing is – So, you know, again, I'm the big Marvel guy and I've got all these Spider-Man stuff and the Spider-Verse things going on. And it allows the story where characters from multiple dimensions are able to come together, plus multiple time frames. So at one point, you've got a 16 year old Peter Parker from the main line. You've got Otto Octavius inside Peter as superior Spider-Man and current day Spider-Man. And then there's an old man, Parker. Uh, and so they're all come together and stuff, but it got me to go back to some of my older issues of stuff because it was referencing like, like characters like, uh, Ben Riley, who at one point he became the amazing Spider-Man when Parker thought he was the clone and he stepped down and lost his powers, Ben stepped up and filled the role. So that Ben got pulled forward. And I went back to these old comics to kind of like see, you know, how well they're paying attention to the continuity of the stories and that kind of stuff. And the one thing that really blew me away, and it wasn't the price differences on my covers, which was the first thing I noticed when I pulled them out, but once I opened it up, it was the art, the whoa, oh my God, who was doing this art of the early and late 90s compared to what they got going on now. Right now, and, and I would even say even DC has got a lot of the same type of arts, where it's that really cool glossed over and really sharp features. And I don't know, like, it, it's got a really cartoon-esque feel, but not like Looney Tunes cartoons, but more the Clone Wars, where you can see the the hairs and the eyelash kind of stuff, and better attention to detail. Granted, not all of them are that way, but there is definitely a but- moreover that the art is better now than it was back then
1: but that's that's more of a technology thing, right? I mean, that's the fact that we have True. digital artists now that were able to do things that they couldn't get as easily coming across on a pencil page, I guess. Um it's funny you said you're talking about that you you started heading towards the idea of the artwork, but started talking about Spider-Verse and multiple continuities, multiple timelines all coming together, multiple time frames all coming together. I swear I was expecting you to head towards what if Marvel did something where, like, Luke from the New Jedi Order came back and looked at his old self and said, dude, she's your sister, just so we could see how much he vomited or something, you know? <laughs> or, you know, he he meets Mara Jade for the first time and says, like, you will kill Luke Skywalker. And older Luke is off to the side whispering, you will buff Luke Skywalker, <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> I totally thought you were going there. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. That'd make an infinities, wouldn't it? Infinity is the world of (laughs) infinite – oh, hell no. (laughs) All right. That brings us to something we talked about when we were talking about books that has a somewhat different spin on it when it comes to comics, and that is digital comics. These days, that is one of the biggest reasons a lot of times why people who are on the fence about buying a tablet or not will lean that way. I am one of those who did when it came to the comics. That was as part of what convinced me to get an iPad 2 way back in the day. Um – In this case, though, we need to not just look at the idea of whether digital is a good way to get your comics, but are there advantages to that format beyond the regular comic page, and what about the different apps for it? You can get them through like the Kindle store, the iBook store, the Nook store, but the biggest ones right now are to get them through Comixology, which also has a Marvel and DC app that's basically just their app that only filters you down to those particular uh, brands. And then also Dark Horse Comics' own app, which is an independent thing, not tied into comiXology at all. Uh, Mark, you want to take this one first?
0: Well, okay. one of the first things with digitals that I really enjoy is the images. Uh, When you got the digital copy, you know, you're you're not as trapped as you are with the physical. You know, the physical, it's not going to get any bigger. You're not going to be able to zoom in on it, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, And then sometimes some of the images are spread across two pages when it comes to the digital side of things, you don't have to worry about page lines and you can zoom in and do that kind of stuff to the most part pretty wide. Uh, and then there's that beautiful little thing. Like I love to call the screen print option where you hit that little print screen button in the corner and it saves whatever is sitting there and you go into the uh, paintbrush and, paste it and then you crop what you have and then bam there you got a really cool looking picture of a superstar destroyer in front of a death star when that superstar destroyer is not supposed to be there brian woods Uh, but it was gloriously drawn and i wanted it so you know it was really cool to be able to do that Uh, and that was one side of things that immediately i was like ooh, you know i'm really digging on that
1: doesn't that though kind of going back to what we talked about with video games last time and we'll at least a little bit talk about with video here in a moment Doesn't that low lend itself to piracy? I mean, it used to be if you wanted to bootleg a comic, you would get the comic and you would make a high-definition scan of the thing or high-resolution scan of the thing. Now, bootlegging a comic and and putting it up online is as simple as taking that comic, doing a screenshot with whatever Mm -hmm. your device is, and you've got it. You've got that page, and it's just as pristine a quality as what's showing up on your screen right now, doesn't digital lend itself more easily in this case to piracy than comics have ever experienced before?
0: Absolutely. Uh, 100% dead on with that. Uh, And that's where I was saying in our last one, our last episode was, I don't think we're going to be able to get around that. that, that these tools have been parts of our computer for a long time. Granted, like I said, Dell has found a way to make it so you can't capture audio, but you being able to capture the the imagery there and yeah, there's nothing to stop you from taking one small panel and one really cool picture or taking, you know, the entire page and saving it that way. Um, That gets back to that intellectually honest and, and paying the creator uh, you know, and, and strong morals, those kind of things. But yeah, there, there is a case for that. And I, I, aside from some really crafty, encryption and stuff like that i don't know how you're going to get around that like maybe put in a code that if somebody tries to screen print it it causes the the that aspect of the computer not to function right i i don't know uh you know kind of like what the we did with that update for my uh force unleashed once it did that update and i couldn't use it for hardly anything they just bricked my system i was like oh okay i mean there may be ways that they could do that as well so so yeah there is that aspect i don't know if there's going to be a solution to that. Uh, But I don't know. I mean, that problem, I think that problem has been around easily for 10 years and piracy of comics doesn't seem to be that major of an issue. And it's not like it's something that's a big guarded secret. I mean, that button's right next to your delete button and the backspace button on your computers. But I I don't know. Uh, The other side of the digital thing that dark horse did for a limited run with the star Wars volume two was offering the free digital copies. Marvel, like when they raised their price, that kind of became a standard for certain lines where you'll get the physical copy. and It'll come with the bonus direct edition. All my amazing Spider-Mans are that way. Uh, but they also have this other feature called AR, which I don't know if it's like augmented reality or, or something like that, but you'll have a, a scene in the comic where it's got this little AR logo. And if you take the app and you hold your camera over it, uh, this video starts. So like, uh, you know, I'm trying to think it was the the death of Parker. You know, you hold it over it and it has this whole thing about how they come up with certain aspects of it. You know, what they were planning on doing really cool little bonus information and stuff like that. So so there's those aspects. that's really cool, really cool little bonus features that they give you that I'm actually looking forward to seeing what they do with the Star Wars side of things. You know, like I said, I'm a huge Spider-Man fan, but there's so many aspects of Star Wars that if they shared it as a bonus in that same way, I think I would get much more of a kick out of it. There's a lot of it with the Spider-Man stuff that I just see it and I never even click on it to see what what the little special bonus is. But you're pretty much guaranteed that if they do that with Star Wars, I'm going to check.
1: Digital for me is, again, it's one of these things where because I order my comics over the mail in some form or another, it's that instant gratification thing. I can read it early. The vast majority of Star Wars Legacy I have two copies of. I have a digital copy of. I have the print copy of it because I picked up the digital one fast because I wanted to have that digital. I wanted to read it that day. I didn't want to get behind by waiting a week or whatever it is for it to finally show up in the mail. So there's that aspect, which is the same thing we talked about with the ebooks where you can just get it now. You don't have to go anywhere. It's right there instantly. Um, or almost instantly. From the standpoint of collecting, uh, I personally would not collect Star Wars comics in digital form. It would be sort of a backup library, a more convenient library while my other stuff stayed put away and protected. Uh, mainly because of the same type of fears as with ebooks, right? What if the company goes under, you'll never get access to your stuff again? Because where will they be stored if the company is gone? Although I think that's something, I think a lot of fears about that were allayed recently with what happened with Dark Horse. And I don't just mean for Star Wars. I mean for comics in general. That when Dark Horse lost the license to this major franchise with this giant library of 500-plus digital comics that they had offered at one point in time for Star Wars, turns out as long as you bought them before they lost the license, you can still access them. You can still put them up in the cloud or leave them up in the cloud, re-download them. Anytime you delete them from your device, you have access. And as long as the company exists, you've got that access. It's not about the rights to sell them. The rights to sell them are gone. They can't sell you any new ones. You still have access to what you purchased before, as long as you're sitting there on those servers that I like, and I think caused a lot of people to kind of breathe a sigh of relief that they weren't going to lose access to that. And that if that's the model businesses follow, We should be in good shape, at least as far as as comics go. Uh, I'm like you. I love how clear the images are. I love that you can zoom in on them. I like that guided view. I don't use it often, but when it's something that's got a lot of stuff happening on the page, especially those big two-page spreads, the splash pages and whatnot, um, I'll do the guided view where you can zoom in, and it it automatically moves you from panel to panel the way it's supposed to be read, which is pretty cool, Um, something, of course, you don't get with regular comics. Although... Just as sometimes it's confusing in regular comics to see which is the next thing to go to if it's a really chaotic page to read in Mm -hmm. the right order, sometimes those guided views don't go in the right order either, or they skip a box if if it's not put put together properly. Um, I would say they're a cool addition. The ability to take quick shots for reviews is great. Uh, I I think the piracy thing is way over the top on it, but then again – like I said, it's it's going to be happening. It's just a matter of whether you feel morally obligated not to do it. I remember when the biggest thing, and I guess it still kind of is now, is like the CBRs and the CBZs where they're the, mm-hmm. the zip files or the RAR files, RAR files that are those compressed archive files. And yet you have readers that basically look in them and see the images and run them so you can have you know your entire comic library sitting there as zip files and put them on a device and play through them. Um, I like the option of digital. I'm not sold on digital at all for collecting in this case either, though I think it's better off than the book aspect of it, at least when it comes to Star Wars. Um, I do use this to read most of the stuff that I read comic-wise, though, that is not in print, or that is not uh, Star Wars, that I won't pick up in print. I love Injustice Gods Among Us. You guys know this. I've said it quite a few times in this episode in the last. I'm talking about the comic series based on the game. I've got all those digitally. I've reread them several times. I'm not inclined to go pick them up physically because I got them digitally and in those cases you get the digital ones earlier than you get the print ones because it's done in small chunks and are then collected to make the print ones later on. Uh, that type of distribution is great and it's a nice way to keep that story going. I would love to see that with Star Wars. Take an issue that's, you know, 30 pages or 25 pages or whatever. Split that sucker in half and instead of making it once a month, make it bi-weekly. And cut the price in half. Keep the story going faster. It may cause more of an issue with the chunking like we talked about with singles versus trade paperbacks. But at the same time, it's less of a weight in between. So it might wind up being something that keeps you engaged more. I guess it just kind of depends on, on who a person is as a specific reader.
0: Now, Dark Horse did do something similar to that, or Star Wars.com did. Uh, they had the Old Republic uh, evasion? something like that they, they yeah, had the, a the comic number
1: 0 for invasion yeah
0: is that the one well there was also one with oh man no okay was I gotta that, edit this there out.
1: was the, there was the clone wars one that eventually became Tales yeah. of the clone wars where they basically like yes. serialized that one and such and I
0: mean, then there was the old republic one that was yeah. the other one you
1: but you weren't paying for those though those were just free online releases and you could go but same but concept but they eventually yeah, yeah, come put
0: come them Eventually, though, they did put them out in, in comics, though, and you could pay for them then because I remember thinking to myself, do I want to pay the money to have them in physical because I already have them for free on my computer? And the honesty, you know, it, I did it. I was just like, heck yeah, I want them in a physical copy.
1: <laughs> yeah, I did. I One of the things I was excited about was getting that Tales from the Clone Wars. I expected them to do that later with Valsidian Operation and the other one, uh, Act on Instinct, but they never did. Um and and I'm sorry, sorry. We just referred to chunking a moment ago. <clears throat> hey, you guys. I know that sloth, but anytime I hear chunk, I think sloth and chunk. So you know, <laughs> baby woo. Um, with the digital thing though, uh, one other option presents itself with these. Before we talk about the actual apps, and that is that you also, because it's all just files on a computer, and they just need a place to be stored. You have options available like Marvel Unlimited. In most comic apps, you go to the app, you want that comic, you download that comic, you pay for that comic. And usually, at least to start with, it's the same price as the ones physically, though it is nice to see that while the physical price may usually stay the same in the stores where you might go to buy it, over time, a lot of times, the prices on digital comics drop, maybe $2.99 to $1.99 or whatever for the older issues, um, because it's not about rarity, it's just, hey, it's there and it's an old file, there's not as much demand for it anymore so they can't charge as much for it anymore.
0: You know, those comic boxes at the comic store that sit underneath the table and usually say 50% off? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, those types. Um, like your a Peter Porker, the spectacular Spider-Ham. Uh, yeah.
0: Hey, he's back, by the way. Yeah, so I,
1: <laughs> so I hear. But uh, you do have options like something like Marvel Unlimited. Marvel Unlimited takes that and turns it on its head, and it's a subscription-based service. And basically you have access to a ridiculously huge Marvel library. You pay by the month or by the year. And read as much as you want. It's all on there. I'm a subscriber to that. It's akin kind of to what they're doing with PlayStation Now, where you subscribe to that service and you play all these games as much as you want as long as they're part of that library. But Marvel's got tons of series up there, way more than I could ever probably read in a lifetime unless I just did nothing but reading comics. It's a ridiculous amount of content for one price. I would love to see Marvel add Star Wars stuff into Marvel Unlimited as it goes because they tend to add stuff, you know, a little while after it's been new. So right around the time they're going to knock down the price maybe on the other app, they'll bring it over to Marvel Unlimited. Um, I'd love to see the Marvel stuff in there at some point. But it's interesting. You would never see a company say, pay us a fee and we'll ship you as many comics as you want. There's no such thing as a physical all-you-can-eat buffet <laughs> of comics for one price. But digitally? Absolutely. And about, you know, how much is that feature?
0: I mean, is it something like how Netflix has like a premium one where you can read two comics this week or you pay this one and only get one comic this week? Or is it just like you said, all you can eat, you pay this one price and it's just it's unlimited, literally unlimited.
1: It is literally unlimited, but there is a premium version of it. Basically, you can pay, I think it's 10 bucks a month. Basically, you get instant streaming access, as they call it, to the comics that are already there through the Marvel Unlimited app, uh, something like fifteen thousand comics, I think the last time that I saw an advertisement for, because I was flipping through it earlier today, um, and they offer certain deals with it, right? There's also an annual subscription, which is what I've got, where you pay seventy bucks, so it's cheaper than hundred and twenty, paying ten bucks a month, but it's mm-hmm. seventy all at one shot, basically, um, same content they do have a premium one called annual plus and annual plus is a hundred bucks. You get those two things that you already got the members only deals and the access to all the comics, which is anything. There's no limit whatsoever, but you also Mm -hmm. get a, uh, I think it's a certain action figure, a couple of variant comics uh, in print form. You get a membership card, you get certain member only events, you get certain discounts on actually buying digital comics and stuff like that. Um, but, but there's different you know, ways you can sort of get your value out of it. For me, that yearly one is awesome because, I mean, if it's 70 bucks for a year, that's a little over 5 bucks a month. That's actually pretty good for the sheer amount. I mean, that's how I went back and read almost the entire Ultimate Marvel line. I've gotten through the middle of like the second incarnation of Ultimate Marvel just blazing through on there. And I'm thinking about actually stopping that and going back and reading it every what if I can get my hands on because I just love that concept.
0: Really? That's, that's interesting. I, one of the first Marvel things I ever collected were the what ifs. I've got about a hundred and some of them. Oh, I
1: love them. They're, they're all like Shakespearean tragedies. At least all the <laughs> early ones always ended in everybody's dead or yeah. something. It never turned out well. It was basically their, Marvel's way of saying, see, you may have criticized how we did it, but ours is the only way that wouldn't wind up being effed up for everybody. Now shut up. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. So, I guess, um, again, for me, The digital side of things opens up a lot of cool new possibilities. Not sold on as a a collector, definitely sold on it as a reader. As far as the readers themselves, the apps. There's two main apps basically. If you're not doing Marvel Unlimited, if you're doing and Marvel Unlimited has got a lot of issues. It crashes and has loading issues frequently enough. Um, It's better now than it used to be, but still. Um, But that's sort of like trying to like just download as you're reading it, usually, as opposed to downloading before you read it. The apps where you purchase that specific comic comic and read it used to be Comixology, which has its own DC and Marvel apps also, and then the Dark Horse one. But then Comixology got bought by Amazon, and they changed it. Now the Comixology app, it's very smooth, well done, great guided view. I love the Comixology app, and it almost never crashes on me, but... Now you have to go to the Comixology website to do your orders and then download them on the device. You cannot buy them through the app. I mean, you can buy them going to, you know, like on an iPad. You can go to Safari, the web browser, and buy them through there and then download them on the app. But you can't buy them straight from the app anymore, although that did introduce subscriptions. Now I've got it set up, for instance, when new issues of Injustice Gods Among Us come out every Tuesday, because it's Tuesday for those, not Wednesday. Um, it'll automatically bill me through PayPal 99 cents and then send me an email saying, your issue is ready. Just like getting like a season pass on say iTunes for a TV show. And I just open up the app, go to in cloud, hit download. I'm reading the comic. I didn't have to go buy it, go to the website or nothing. I just set up my subscriptions like a pull and hold thing at a comic shop. Um, that's inconvenient to an extent to have to go to the website, but at least it offers that extra perk of being able to subscribe. The Dark Horse app You can still buy stuff through, but even now, after a lot of tweaks and updates and updated versions, it's still kind of a clunky app, and I tend to find that it freezes and crashes a lot. A ridiculous amount. And you usually, I find, if you want to see the new comics released for this particular week, you got to shut that thing down. And like on an iPad, just closing it and going back to the home screen doesn't actually close it. you got to manually actually, nowadays you double-click the home button to do your little flick your finger up or whatever. There's different ways you've done it in different versus the operating system. But you actually have to close that out and get rid of it and then start it again and hope it doesn't crash so that it will then slowly load what that week's comics are so you can choose what you want to buy. Uh, as a digital comic reader, even after all this time, the Dark Horse Comics app still sucks. But at least you can buy stuff straight from the app. So for me, for my money, Comixology's app leaps and bounds better. But for the convenience factor, there's probably folks out there who, when they got bought by Amazon, said, screw it, and would probably argue the case for the Dark Horse app just because you can buy the stuff through it.
0: Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that you get them on Tuesday versus Wednesday because – you know,
1: Well, it's, from just, a com- it's just those. Like most comics are still Wednesday, but the digital-only comics um, – from DC, like Injustice and Arrow Season, whatever, those come out on Tuesdays.
0: Hmm. Which is interesting because the comics actually show up at your comic stores on Tuesdays, but the stores are not allowed to sell them on Tuesday they have to wait till Wednesday Uh, Jeff the comic store owner that down here uh, he gets them and that's how he knows everything the next day because he gets to take them home and read them the night before so when he's selling them he knows what's in it And so he was telling me about that he's like because some of the comics would be there and he's like yeah I'm sorting them out and I'll be like oh can I look at it he's like I can't let you see it like,
1: come on Jeff give it to me
0: <laughs> but yeah, I was just wondering if that might have been something along that line but apparently not but that's still interesting that, that it comes out on a Tuesday
1: now it's very very cool. I I like it because it gives me something to look forward to on Tuesday, other than you know what is that week's you know movies or music that's coming out. It. It's something that I can read aside from going to the bookstore to pick something up. Uh, I tend to pre-order the comics a lot, but not necessarily the books. That brings us to video, which is something I of course highlight on my YouTube series. From the Star Wars Home Video Library, which recently got some more episodes dealing with, like, the Betamax versus VHS tapes um, from the early, early 80s. And Phineas and Ferb Star Wars got an episode. But in this case, this is another one I kind of feel like it plays out the way—or it should play out—the way that video games do. And yet, for me, because it's an easier collection to create than, say, books or comics because there's not as much to buy— I've actually found that this became one of my favorite forms of collecting, and yet, just like someone who collects video games but doesn't have the old systems, I can't necessarily use everything that's actually in the collection. Um, Video wise, we've got VHS, right, the mainstay, right, for decades in that case. Betamax, (laughs) the loser of that big format war against VHS. Laserdisc, the first. Uh, instance in which basically you had these big discs as opposed to being, or these big uh, shiny discs, as opposed to being something with tape inside them. I used to sort of add in the CEDs. CEDs look kind of like big, gigantic, uh, hard computer floppy discs, except you pull a thing out from inside them and you have inside what basically looks like an LP, like a music LP that plays in your player. Um, some movies being so long that you have two of those for the entire movie, kind of like two VHS tapes for some things, like Titanic, except you need two of them for just Return of the Jedi, for CED. You have VCD, which are those video discs that were big overseas that aren't high-definition or anything. They're just video CD-ROMs, basically. Uh, then, of course, DVD, still a mainstay at this point. Blu-ray, uh, the winner of the high-definition format war against HD-DVD. You have digital, we have 3D Blu-ray, which is not really catching on as much as I'm surprised that it hasn't because it is kind of a cool format, but most people don't have 3D televisions. Uh, All those types of ways of viewing your Star Wars material in terms of what you may pick up. I would say this will probably be the least controversial of any of the topics that we've covered here just because I'm not sure that in this case there's a lot of arguments for the less clear picture versus the more clear picture.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I don't have much on this one. And so, I mean, I'll say what I have to say, kick it over to you and then comment based off anything you say that brings up more for me. The VHS, I've got all of it. I like to call it a collection incomplete. Thank you very much, George. We only needed, what, one more disc, two more of those? Uh, the DVD, that's kind of where I'm at. I've got the special edition Um. I've got a few versions of, I've got the silver and the gold, um, but I I don't have Blu-ray. I mean, I finally got a Blu-ray player, uh, and surprisingly, you know, I've asked for it for Christmas, but nobody's bought me the saga on Blu-ray. Uh, the Clone Wars, I've been only watching it on Netflix, so I've, I don't even have it on DVD. So, I mean... I really don't have much there aside from the fact that like I enjoy my special edition of the DVD, and that's enough Star Wars for me. I mean, I really don't need much more than that. I don't need to have the special scenes that were added, the extra no, and that stuff makes it easier to mock by because I don't have it, so therefore I'm not falling in love with it. I'm sure if I did, that would be the quintessential Star Wars for me because of the picture and the sound quality. Uh, I know, Nathan, when you start talking about this, the sound quality for you is one of those things that... Your comments about how great the sound quality is on the Blu-ray is one of the reasons why I am itching to get a hold of it. Um Moving into the world of Blu-ray, it's been an interesting thing. You know, you see some movies that are just glorious, and then you see some older movies that don't stand up well. But I do hear time after time that the blu ray stand up really well. So I'm very excited to eventually move into that arena, especially considering that is the canon version of the film. So technically, I really don't have the canon version because I'm just supporting legends over here.
1: He always meant for that rock to be in front of R2 from only one angle. And I guess he always meant that, you know, it was going to be a reverse TARDIS at Jabba's palace. It is smaller on the inside. Now, I've been collecting these for a while, not really meaning to, and then I actually turned it into a collection I pursued because I realized I had quite a bit already. I might as well start adding to it. Um... At last count, if you don't count the 8mm original selected scenes, black and white, no sound, um, reel for, on Super 8 of parts of A New Hope, I want to say I currently own 33 different copies of A New Hope. And for Empire and Jedi, it's somewhere in the mid-20s at this point. Um, because we're talking, you know, Multiple VHS, right? I find it interesting that when Star Wars got going, home video wasn't really huge yet. I mean, people would watch stuff on TV, and they might rent a videotape, but actually owning a tape was kind of weird. Uh, That's why in 82 it was so crazy. They released a video rental library version of A New Hope months before they released one for people to buy. Well, people would go to their video stores and start renting them and not bringing them back. So video stores would start doing what they called a lifetime rental. Pay them a ridiculous amount of money. They'll just give you the tape and never ask for it back and call it a rental. And then eventually, later that year, you wind up with the original release of it for purchase on home video. And people snatched it up, despite the fact that it was $80 or something back in you know, 1982, which is quite a bit. Well,
0: think about this. 96, Braveheart came out. When that came out on VHS, it was still
1: $80. Good lord, that's insane. I, that's what uh, I thought. Let's see, then you have, um, I mean, there's different versions. There's a VHS version from '83. There's one from '84. That's an '84 one is essentially re-released uh, packaging-wise in '86, '87, minus the label on the tape. They finally start putting it together in VHS sets in 1990. Uh, you get another one in '92, and so on. I and mean, we don't even get DVD versions until 2004. Blu-ray until 2011. I mean, Star Wars has crossed a lot of media. And I don't think it's, you know, a surprise that we're going to prefer better sound and picture quality. With Star Wars, it's a little odd, though, because every time, every time from 1997 onward, it's not a matter of just picking the best picture and sound quality. It's, oh, look, he's tinkered with it again. Right back in 82 and 83, you got the original stereo mix of the films on VHS and I'm guessing on Betamax, I have no idea if the Betamax ones that I have are stereo or not. I think they may be, but I don't recall if Betamax even has a stereo option. It's been a while, and it's very late at night as I'm recording this. Um, but well, late at night for me, for Mark, it's just hitting midnight. For me, it's like 3.15 a.m. Um, but VHS and Betamax at least start out with this, you know, well, there's the one version of the sound. And then they do that hi-fi remix thing that gives it a little triangle that says hi-fi stereo in uh, 84, which is the first time they remix the soundtrack. You get to the early 90s, and you get this, or I guess it's 93, and you get the Laserdisc Definitive Collection, the Definitive Edition, and they revamp things with THX- video and sound, so better picture quality, better sound quality, and use that as the basis for the THX 1995 editions of the films, which are again, you know, clarified and made better, but not substantial changes. As soon as 97 comes around, he's doing the special edition changes, then you've got the uh, DVD releases in 2004, and they get changed again. you got the Blu-ray release in 2011, they change it again. I mean, the Star Wars films, even the prequels have been tinkered with. The only one that really hasn't is Revenge of the Sith. I mean, you had uh, oh, look, it was a smash cut here, now it's a wipe, now it's a smash cut, or whatever they call it. Um, so what your preferred media is, what your preferred format is, sometimes is telling on what version of the films you prefer. If we can take that out of it, though, take the whole, well, if you like the Blu-ray, you prefer that cut of the film versus the others, and you suck, because it's not the original. Take that out. We all know the original's rocked. But you can't get those in that high quality legally at this point. Hopefully Disney will do as they rumor and put it out, but I highly doubt it because of the rights and the whole thing with Fox and all. Um, but VHS and Betamax, they were great for their time. I still remember seeing my first widescreen VHS version of the films when I got the box set in 92 with the hologram on the cover. Amazed me. Holy crap, I've been missing like a third of the picture this whole time. This is awesome! Never did get into Laserdisc myself, but it's the beginning of starting to add a lot of supplemental features to it, like on the Definitive Collection. Um, That, I think, is a a major moment, and that's going to carry on through DVD, all the way up through Blu ray and such. So it's cool to see them start to add supplemental stuff instead of just, hey, here's a trailer before the film, or here's a quick preview after the film, or something. Um, VCD was not, I was not a big fan of, but it is nice, it was nice to have it digital. You could jump to whatever part of the movie you wanted. By clicking on something on the computer, right, to be able to jump between them. But VCD, there's a reason it never caught on here. It just did not surpass VHS or Laserdisc in terms of picture quality. So what was the point of picking them up? DVD uh, for DVD was just this amazing thing when it first arrived to me. You know, we were watching things on a standard old television, standard definition television, back before standard definition meant anything because there was no high definition, Um is it a high definition? What is that? Does that mean you're highfalutin' and defining some kind of word most people don't know? Uh, yeah, that's, that's not a high definition. Is that
0: like when, like, you get really stoned and you start looking through your encyclopedia?
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, I don't like, DVD was just big because it had a bunch of new features, of course. Most of the things that were coming out were coming out widescreen as opposed to having to look for that specifically on VHS. Um And it was just a cool thing to have that better picture and sound quality on DVD. I still remember my first DVD player was on my computer. Even before we had one in the home, I had a DVD-ROM that I bought specifically because I wanted to watch movies on the computer and be mm-hmm. able to do other things. And my drive was dying, so why not replace it with a DVD-ROM instead? And the first film I got was Fight Club. The two-disc nice. Fight Club uh, DVD was just blew me away. And then we waited years and years for Star Wars to come out on it. Uh, DVD, I still think, is the most versatile format that's out there in terms of price versus the content that you get. But Blu-ray, from the standpoint of of visuals, is absolutely gorgeous. And the sound is terrific. I mean, the first time I played iRobot on a Blu-ray player, it was one of the first Blu-rays I ever had. Cool visuals and everything. It looks really, really nice. You get to the point where he's listening to music. I think it's superstitious. He's playing the music in his home just as he's, like, making food or something. I forget, like, in the morning. It just filled the room. And I'd never seen that happen with anything but Bose speakers on a DVD. It, just, it, it blew me away. Um, that's why I'm kind of interested to see the, four, the 4K resolution stuff but i've never actually seen one of those and had a chance Ooh. to play around with one of those in person but the price I, to me right now is just over the top um
0: i have and those 4ks are incredible i uh we were at a best buy and i didn't even know what they were at that point you know and i wasn't till later that you know i hear people talking about it but we just went into this this cool little amphitheater and they had all these different tvs and then you go into the back dark spot that they had and they had that one and it was playing a shot of just a river uh, but I kid you not, my man, it was literally like looking through a damn window. I, I, I felt like I could reach through and grab the water. It was insanely
1: realistic. You hear that? We need Jar Jar stepping in poop in 4K. Um, <laughs> I, one of the other reasons I really like Blu-ray in particular, um, is One, obviously, the content that you can put on there. You can have alternate cuts of films in some cases, cool things like Maximum Movie Mode or whatever they call it, like on Watchmen where it just stops for a moment and the the director comes out and talks and then goes back. All kinds of cool features you can add to those things. I also find, though, that when I watched on a high-definition television, I would watch some later-produced DVDs like Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Any scene that's got blacks in it, is mushy, it's it's washed out, it's hard to see stuff. Not on Blu-ray. On Blu-ray on an HD television, it comes in crystal clear. So I like that aspect because you get a lot of things like Attack of the Clones that have some darker moments, uh like literally in the dark and you need to be able to see what's going on. And I always thought DVD was the best we would get, but no. Turns out it doesn't have to artifact and get all screwed up like that. You can have something clearer. Um, Two other things I would say about Blu-ray. One 3D Blu-ray, it's it feels like a fad, but I got to tell you, the films that do 3D well on a 3D Blu-ray, on a 3D television, even a small one. I got, when Best Buy did a sale on that PlayStation brand 3D TV that's not very big, I got one years ago, and I love watching 3D films on it. It's, it's a fun experience. And I can pause it anytime I want and go to the bathroom, get some popcorn, whatever, rather than missing part of the movie like in a theater doing 3D. I much prefer the home 3D experience. Um, very cool. I would love to see them finally take Phantom Menace that's already in 3D that was in theaters. Attack of the Clones that was already shown at a convention in theaters. And now the next convention, the next celebration, we're going to see Revenge of the Sith in 3D take them and put them out on 3D Blu-ray. Do I think they're going to do it anytime soon? No, but they should because that would be a cool home experience to have. And as a home video collector, I want those in the collection. The other (laughs) thing I would say about Blu-ray, the last thing, would be it's interesting because, and I mentioned this on a recent episode from the Star Wars Home Video Library, you realize Star Wars got to sit out the last format war, right? Because VHS and Betamax, you had Star Wars films released on both. Until they got the first box set. When that happened, it was straight VHS. There was no Betamax equivalent of it. But in 82, 83, 84, 86, 87, all the different VHS releases had a corresponding Betamax release. Even the home, the, the video rental library one that wasn't supposed to be sold had a Betamax release. I just covered all of them on episode 4.1, kind of fitting it back into the old playlist stuff, um, of the series on YouTube. Cool stuff to see. There really wasn't a big format war between Laserdisc and anything, unless you count VHS and Betamax, nor Laserdisc and DVD to a degree. So DVD kind of got to be all sort of by itself, even though Star Wars was pretty late in the DVD cycle. But Blu-ray had a format war. Remember, remember HD DVD? Those maroon packages out there that you could get, as opposed to the blue ones for Blu-ray? Uh, the reason why... Microsoft didn't go with Blu-ray and have to pay Sony or anything to have Blu-rays play on the Xbox 360, whereas now they play on the Xbox One. Um They never had a Star Wars release on HD DVD. It sat out the format, or it took them so freaking long to put out the Star Wars films on Blu-ray or in high definition for home purchase that you literally had an entire format war skipped. And of all the major formats to be considered in the last you know several decades that Star Wars has been around it's the one major format if you want to call it a major format at least a major player for a while that yeah. Star Wars never appeared on. no I don't count UMD huh Wow
0: you know what's funny is I was I was thinking you were mentioning uh, widescreen and stuff with the DVDs and it was the special edition of the DVDs. That made me realize the difference between widescreen and full screen because they they had like one of the scenes was like two ships in the corner that you literally could only see it in the widescreen. And I remember at that time, like, I don't know who had me convinced, but somebody had me convinced that the full screen gave you more. And I remember watching it going, where's all the stuff they added? You know, and then I found out from a friend otherwise about it. Like, oh, dude, that, it's only on the widescreen. It's the only spot you're going to get it. Like you only get like a little moment of it with the regular full screen. You're ripping yourself off. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I just still remember that epiphany. Uh, and the other thing you had mentioned was was about Fox getting a hold of it to see on Blu-ray the original theatrical v- versions of the trilogy. But wouldn't it be crazy if now maybe Disney and Fox get together over this whole Marvel thing since Star Wars is now both Disney and Marvel and Disney wants Spidey back? Like they're like, hey, you know, uh, we also would like to maybe throw in the Star Wars. Like we'll give you guys a chunk of the change. You give us a percentage. We give you Spidey. We, you know, massage everyone's backs and the fans are having the fangasm.
1: remember spider-man's sony but yeah i mean fox has all the x-men stuff so yeah i mean maybe they can make some kind of deal that kind of combines you know marvel plus the whole issue of uh of the star wars stuff i doubt it anytime soon but they might uh maybe maybe they're a bit chagrined because didn't they just recently in the comics turn a scarlet witch into no longer even being a mutant and that was a big hubbub about avengers 2 and all that yeah
0: She's an inhuman now. That is uh, the latest uh, retcon, thanks to the whole uh, current Axis story that just ended, which was pretty cool in and of itself. There you
1: go. Uh, The other thing we really haven't touched on when it comes to video is digital. And I guess just like with comics, there's two different concepts of digital. There's digital in terms of something like iTunes, where you download something, and then there's something – well, usually, unless you use like an Apple TV or something – Uh, And then there's, of course, the streaming services like uh, Amazon Video or Netflix when it comes down to having a subscription price, kind of like Marvel Unlimited except significantly cheaper uh, for stuff that costs more to stream, actually, oddly enough. Uh, For me, digital-wise, I'm good with doing digital rentals of a lot of things. And I'll do digital subscriptions to stuff like Rebels or Doctor Who. Doctor Who because I've watched all of it pretty much on the computer anyway, in one form or another, whether it's a DVD playing on the computer while I'm working on stuff or whatever. Um, And things like Rebels and Clone Wars because I want to have those versions, those aired versions, because sometimes when they release them on DVD or Blu-ray, they're not the same versions. And I want to be able to make the comparisons because I'm just you know, neurotic like that when it comes to the different versions of Star Wars things. But... I tend to find that I don't tend to buy a lot of standalone movies on just digital download. I tend with those to buy them still on Blu-ray, even if the high definition winds up being essentially the same viewing experience between them. I do subscribe to Netflix, though, and I think that's a great way. I mean, if you're going to watch a lot of movies like a you have no life, a lot mm-hmm. of movies, or you're like me now and you work from home and you can just watch a bunch of stuff while you're doing your work. um, A great way to see movies you haven't seen before that are older ones, so they're definitely on there. Or, better yet, to watch television series plowing all the way through without paying I-just-bought-a-season-set-on-DVD type of Mm -hmm. prices. Um, So, for me, movies, TV, the portability of it, awesome to have in terms of, of being able to watch something on the go. For movies as opposed to TV episodes, I still think the price point is usually a little too high. But I think Netflix has finally did it dead on where for less than 10 I think it's like 8 bucks, you can stream their entire yeah. library of stuff, and it's on virtually every device you possibly have.
0: Yeah, that's what I got going on in my house, and I, I, the main reason why we got it back again was Clone Wars. I told my wife, I have none of this. You're either buying me the series or we're getting Netflix because I want to be able to watch it at my discretion. I want to watch it in a chronological order. So we've got it back and I was able to enjoy that. Got hooked on Sons of Anarchy the last two or three weeks. So that's kind of – that's been a lot of fun, ride. Right? Uh, on Demand is how I've been digesting Rebels. I've been uh, catching it On Demand uh, – well, Sunday nights I believe is when the new episodes come out a week before they're actually aired, uh, which I thought was kind of crazy. So that was kind of cool. I get to check that out when I remember to check it uh, right away. The – For me, when it comes to the digital side of things, like most of my stuff, my old roommate was the one that that got me most of, you know, into the digital side of things. Uh... I'm not as computer savvy as as one might think, you know, I produce the podcast, but I kind of stumbled into that. I mean, when it comes to server issues, like my phone still won't send pictures to Facebook right now. It says I'm not attached to the server, but I can do everything else. So, you know, when it comes to tech issues, I bang my head against the desk. I don't know it. So I always turn to my old roommate. And when it comes to his digital library, he despises everything that is not the original theatrical version of the Star Wars trilogy and so the only films of the Star Wars trilogy he had on there were the despecialized editions uh which tells you a lot right there I begged and pleaded and the best I could get him to do for me was he got me the Ali uh revisited version uh of A New Hope I don't I don't think he's had the Strikes Back was finished yet or I don't even think he has finished that one uh but I was just blown away by that when I watched it because, of course, you know, we had that huge projector, uh, that my roommate had. So I saw it as the size of a, you know, movie theater and all the added little stuff, Chewy getting the uh, award at the end and all that stuff. I was just beyond tickled. Of course, my roommate was just going on about adding the extra stuff. It was always good. It never needed to be messed with. But yeah, for digital for me, that's really all I have knowledge of. Uh, I mean, you know, call it what it is. I'm going to not, but that's what it is.
1: I guess two things that kind of cross the line between digital and non in some form, or streaming and non in one case, kind of two different versions of formats, and things that are legal, but which are just barely toe in the line of legal um, because of the way the copyright law is written. If you are someone who, like me, has a lot of old VHS tapes, and you're afraid of eventually not being able to have something to play them on. Right now, my only VHS player is crammed in the other room just for when I digitize stuff. Uh, or you're afraid of playing it so much that it might break. Like, it freaks me out to rewind the mm-hmm. 1982 video rental or original 1982 or harder-to-find 83 version of A New Hope on VHS. I'm scared to death it's going to eat the tape, as the saying goes. Um If you have a concern about that, but you have a huge library of VHS stuff, and you're not worried about the fact that VHS, just in general when you play it, doesn't have that hiss in the background and isn't as clear visually, you can pick up for about, I think it's like 60 bucks or whatever. Uh, There's plenty of programs that do it. The one I've got is Roxio. I think it's Easy VHS to DVD is what it's called. But it's a little gadget that you take your, your red, white, and yellow AV cords, plug them into that, And then the other end of it plugs into your USB port. You put the software on the computer and you can play your VHS tape. It shows up on a screen on the computer as if it was showing up on the television. And you can record it as it goes and save it as a digital file. Mm. It's a nice way to keep that. That's how I'm actually going to be able to pull off some of the comparison stuff when I eventually do those every single version of the Star Wars films. Here's all the different changes videos, which will probably take me forever to put together. Um, Also... If you tend to like to stream stuff, but you don't like the fact that a lot of times when you stream, it's cutting out or it's causing you problems or you got to keep waiting for it to, to go through and uh, buffer again all that kind of stuff, um, there is a program called Play Later or Play On, but Play Later is the version that I've got, which is basically a program that is like a DVR for digital stuff. And because – that, it, oddly enough, for whatever reason, it fits under legal copyright. Uh, they've got the – Uh, uh, the okay on this somehow, uh, legally. What it is basically is it's kind of like a DVR for whatever you stream. So you go on on that program, open it up, go to Netflix within that program and log into your account that you pay for and say, I want to watch season one, episode one of Arrow. Click on it. And instead of watching it at the time, it streams it in real time as if you were watching it but it's saving it as a video file as it does it. So you wind up with a file that has a copyright notification at the beginning and the end telling your name, your IP address, and everything. You know, this is who legally downloaded because they pay for this service, but here's their information in case they're bootlegging it. As if you couldn't go in and edit that off of something very, very easily in, like, Movie Maker or something. Um, something as simple as that. But as long as you're not altering the file, it's legal because it's got those notices and everything on it, and you pay for the service And it allows you to download whatever it is. Um, so like right before they took 24 off of Netflix, I did a ridiculous several days constantly of streaming every episode of 24 and making sure I saved it so I could go back and watch it this summer when I have time to watch it without losing it because of the way that the rights worked out with, you know, Netflix and whatever between them and Fox. So there are ways to take one version of something that may not be ideal and alter it. We're in a, a heavily transformative media type culture right now. Media transforms us, but also can transform between different other media much more readily than it ever has before, which again leads to more piracy, mm-hmm. but more versatility.
0: Well, that was what I was going to ask you was how is that play on service any different say than the print screen option with the digital comics? It's obviously the rights page, but it well, no, no you- I,
1: I think you could, I think legally you would be fine making a backup, so to speak, of a digital comic. It's like why well, you could, you could dub, as I used to call it, a VHS tape, and mm-hmm. as long as it is a copy of something you already own and have the rights to, um, that you're making as your own backup, you're fine. Same thing as making a copy of a CD-ROM or a DVD or something like that. It's when you try to distribute it. That the issue happens whether you're distributing it free just dumping it online or distributing it for a fee or presenting it for a fee that's when the issue comes down well yeah
0: because it's weird because like okay if i want to lend my book to a friend the actual comic i could just hand it to my friend and he hands it back now i could say you know save copies of this as a backup have it on my darth vader little mimbot flash drive here and give it to him to read it in the same fashion and he could then if he wants to choose and save it But all of that, even before he chooses to save it, is all completely illegal.
1: Ah, but I can tell you why. Okay. Because that's not a single copy. Generally, if you're getting something, it's a a license these days. The games and stuff, for instance, are usually licensed for use for you. Like, I mean, heck, game-wise, if if I buy a game for um, the PlayStation 4, I think the legalese of that plus Xbox One essentially... Is you're buying a license for the game, not for the game itself. So they can change it anytime they want with patches and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't sue them over it. It's not really yours anymore. Mm. Um, it's like you're, you're leasing it. Same thing with the systems, if I remember right. I forget exactly how the legal lease works on that, but it's one of those sort of covering the butts. You're not actually owning it type things. Um, the way that generally it works with standard media, like the comics and whatnot, is you own the copy that you bought. That's why, like, I can buy a book and turn around and resell that book. And they can't come at me and say, you can't sell that book. Only the company can sell that book. It's my physical property. I can sell it to to whoever I want to. But if it's digital, generally what they're concerned about is the copying of it. Like if I've got – that's how some of the file sharing services tried to get away with it for a while. Where It was, well, there's just one copy on my computer. They're just making a copy of it over to theirs. But mine is just sitting here like Kazaa and such, Um, (laughs) Napster. Yeah, they got crushed. Because the idea is that there's a difference between, like, if you had a digital comic and you had it on a flash drive, but that was it, nowhere else, and you lent them the flash drive, they didn't copy it, they gave it back to you, I think legally you would be fine. As opposed to making a copy of something as a backup and giving it away or loaning it away because then it's not your use, it's someone else, and yet you've still retained that original thing. It'd be the equivalent of photocopying an entire book and giving away that photocopy to somebody okay in that case um what got me thinking about that at one point was on the nook and i'm I'm guessing on the kindle too i'm not sure but on the nook you can actually loan books if i have bought an ebook i can loan it to somebody who also has a nook the trick to it is when i loan it to them it becomes unavailable to me that way it's literally like loaning a physical book i have the one copy I hand it off to this person until they give it back or until the time runs out on the loan and it automatically comes back. I have no access, but they do. You can't do it with all books, but it's an interesting take on that whole legal aspect of if it's a digital item, is there any way I can loan it to somebody or share it with somebody without legally it coming back and kicking me in the butt? Granted, they're not going to go after most people anyway. They don't have the resources to do that. but. You know, from a legally doing it the right way thing, it's interesting that there is a way to legally do that with digital materials. But you have to think kind of in a weird way and think of them almost like they're not even digital.
0: Well, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, of the legal aspects that just are beyond me. I mean, I made a scout video for Back to Scouting for us to play just at our pack meeting uh, with what we did that year. And I, I played Carry On Wayward Son. You know, And then I, I went, everybody wanted me to upload it to YouTube so they could have their own copy of it. So I went to do it. No, YouTube wouldn't let me do it for the longest time. I finally got around it somehow. I can't remember what I had to do, but I had to upload it. I think I had to upload it to Facebook or it was Facebook that wouldn't let me do it. Yeah, that was it. Facebook wouldn't let me do it, but YouTube would. That's what it was. Uh, so yeah, Facebook was telling me oh. that I, I didn't own the rights to the song and I couldn't do it. And I'm like, what? Like it's not even the full
1: song. What the heck? Oh man. I ran into that just recently when I put up that, uh, from the Star Wars home video library review and discussion on the Navajo edition of a new hope. I put it up there and I used a tiny set of clips and it's not even the original soundtrack entirely because it's Navajo speaking. But the visuals, boom, got nailed. Uh, When I did the one with clips from the old uh, 8mm and 16mm stuff, boom, got nailed for the clip. And you have to turn around, say, this is under fair use. Because there are ways under fair use when you're talking about something that's a parody or something that's uh, for educational purposes, documentary purposes, and stuff like that. that Something could be used as long as it's only a certain amount of whatever that something is. Um, But yeah, it it pops up a dispute automatically because they're automatically checking for it with their algorithms or whatever. Uh, and basically you just have to wait it out. It, I put up that Navajo one a while back, unless it's like around Thanksgiving time or something. It was only just a couple of days ago as of when we're recording this that that dispute finally ended. It's basically you put in there what your case is, and if they don't respond to it and say, no, we don't believe you and come after you, it automatically expires on YouTube and you're fine. But, yeah, I mean they have to be careful with it when it comes to – you know, protecting the different rights of the media, especially when you've got something like a YouTube where just about anything can be found online at just about any given time. That brings us to our last two topics, which are very quick little concerns here, but things that were brought up uh, by the listeners while we were talking about concepts for this show that probably don't need shows of their own. They wouldn't necessarily fill an entire show, but we wanted to make sure to mention here because they do tie into this idea of formats and such. Um, So... First of the two, when it comes to getting things signed, a lot of times fans of different media, whether it's Star Wars or anything else, want to have things signed by their favorite writers, their favorite artists, whatever. If we're getting Star Wars comics or books signed, which I guess you can't really do for digital unless you have them sign your iPad on the back or something, but if you're talking about a physical book or physical comic and getting it signed, which tends to be the preferred method to get it personalized like to mark to nathan blah 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 to get it non-personalized where it's just the person's signature or a book plate where i don't have the book with me but i've got this signed sticker and i can stick the sticker in the book and it essentially is a signed book uh pros and cons of those
0: well um I think it really depends on what you're doing with the book. Like, if you're planning on reselling the book, you're definitely not going to want it personalized. You're just going to want the signature or something with just a Star Wars phrase. You know, "May the Force be with you," Timothy Zahn. You know, something like that. Uh, I do have some some signed items. Uh, Timothy on my I my, my one of my first, let's well, my first girlfriend kind of thing in the in the manner of you know the first girl I fell in love with and first a lot of things. <laughs> so she bought me, uh, you know. The third book of the series, and was able to get it signed by Timothy Zahn because my mom had bought me the trilogy, and she knew I kept it on my bedstand. Uh, I wasn't really reading it because I wasn't reading books at the time because that wasn't cool, you know. And so she knew that I had them there, and she knew I was digging Star Wars because the special editions were coming out, and I was like,
1: "Yeah, Star Wars, I love it." Yeah. Uh,
0: so she saw Timothy Zahn and thought, "Hey, I'll get him this," and and she got it signed to me, and that was that was for the longest time one of the coolest possessions I had ever had. You know, I was just like, "Wow." Uh, and later I was able to find a, uh, episode one and I got it. It was already signed and it was a, a blank one, just, you know, author's name on it. Uh, it, and then through star uh, when Karen Travis was doing all her stuff, uh, I, I created a ask Karen thread, uh, that she had approved and she would go in there and would answer questions and stuff. And that went on for a long time, all the way up until she finally left the fandom. Uh, but her and I, uh, and a few other fans had, had. Got into a lot of conversations and stuff and, and got to the point where we were emailing back and forth about different things and stuff like that. And, uh, if you know, I'd, I'd show her pictures of my son doing things with stormtroopers and stuff and she'd just get a kick out of it. And, you know, somehow we ended up talking about it and she had offered to send me some, some of those book placard things. Cause I, I'd asked about getting, uh, the Clone Wars book signed because it was only a paperback in the UK and she said she would totally do it, but. She knew that the book would get stolen. It would never make it to me. Uh, she said anytime she's ever done that, they've just never made it. So what she would do is send me those those little placards and I could put them in whichever books I wanted. Uh, and so she gave me five of them. Uh, and so almost all – like it, like on my bookshelf, I've got a few of these in duplicate because I put them in brand new books. Uh, but but they're all personalized. Um, some of them, it's all in Manda uh, Some of it is just her. Uh, but they're all personalized and each one is near and dear to me. Absolutely love them. On a non-Star Wars side of thing, uh, I've got uh, Tony Moore. uh, He knows Jeff, the comic store owner, personally, and comes down and does Walking Dead stuff uh, and does signings and and giveaways and stuff. And I've got a a picture of Michonne carrying the two zombies, and you know he signed it "Stay Sharp, Mark," uh, you know, with his name. And then uh, he signed my first edition uh, trade paperback of his with another really cool thing for it. And then my first number one uh, with the special uh, cover. You know, each one of those he did for me. Uh, but for me, I, they're for me. I don't plan on ever selling them. I don't plan on giving them away. They are mine. So I want them personalized. So I, I have them all personalized, wrote to me to my name. Um, aside from that one that I got at the bookstore that it was on sale, it was, it was a, in a, a group of them. It wasn't just one book signed by Terry Brooks. It was like four or five uh, of them, same book, all signed, and they were all just generic. Uh, and I was like, oh, sweet. It's on sale. Four bucks, right on, you know? Uh, but beyond that, that one, that one really has no value though, because I didn't get it signed from him. I, I got it secondhand and yeah, it was signed and there's a value to that. But to me, the value is intangible. It's, it's the memory. It's the sensation that comes with going back to that moment. You know, I mean, that's, that's how I go back in time is through the memories I create through the objects that I have and. You know, I mean, that's like sometimes, you know, my collections are shrine to to my growth as a fan, you know, when I find the different objects as I pull them out of the box and stuff, it that's that's how I remember, you know, I pull it out and I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember when I got this. I remember when I boxed this, you know, I mean, and, and I mean, even though my my first girlfriend got me the one by Zahn. That one being personalized to me and being directly for me had more value than the one for episode one that, that was just completely blank. And the ones from Karen Travis are the most nearest and dearest to me because I know those all came from her heart. They weren't just like some, you know, oh, I'm just doing this because, you know, her and I for over two years were emailing back and forth. It was it was a, it was awesome.
1: You know, I think this, again, it's, it's about personal experience in a lot of ways. There's, there's a collecting side of just trying to have a bunch of stuff signed by individual people that, whose work you admire. But then there's also the, like you were saying, sort of the personal experience aspect of it. Um, from a personal experience aspect, to me, the personalized stuff is always cool. Uh, but you can't really resell that. Like, if you're getting something signed and you're not sure you're gonna keep it and you plan on selling it or giving it away someday, Unless you find somebody with your same name, probably not going to make sense. It always bugs me. If I go on eBay, and I used to do a thing where just every so often I would go on eBay, put in Star Wars signed as the uh, the search criteria, and just set uh, buy it now, price lowest first, and just look and see what's there. And if there was something affordable and cool and signed, I would pick it up. But I got to the point where I wouldn't pick up something unless they showed a picture of the signature because so often you'd see like, a signed copy of this Michael Stackpole book. Granted, it says to Bob. But yeah, it, it's signed. Yeah, show me where it's signed and tell me it's signed to Bob. Don't just say it's signed. Otherwise, to me, that feels like a bait and switch type of thing. Yeah, um, They're being disingenuous in trying to sell it. So if that's your goal, selling it or getting rid of it someday, then yeah, personalized isn't going to work. Non-personalized works. Uh, I, I don't add anything to my collection that's not either personalized to me Or non-personalized. Like, my copy of Heir to the Empire is simply signed by Timothy Zahn. That's it. My copy of Dark Empire number 1 is signed by, uh... Shoot, I forget. I think it's Tom Veach and... I think it's Dave Dorman was the other one who signed that one. Um, That's cool and all. Not personalized or anything like that. I was glad to be able to find them because I wanted to have them for the collection. Then, of course, there's the signed and numbered stuff where there's no personalization ever. But it's cool to have because it's that limited edition whatever. But, signed. So to me, it's about who signed it, what's the big deal. I've got um, uh, a photo up on the wall. I don't tend to do a lot of uh, I want the actor's photographs signed or anything like that, except for a handful. And it's usually because of voice acting. Like I've got a picture of Sam Witwer that's signed. Uh, mm-hmm. Up on the wall is a Clone Wars action scene that's signed by most of the, the voice cast at the time. Um, but when it comes to books, that's where – you know, At least if you're looking for signed ones and you're looking online for something that's not personalized, as long as you're sure it's not personalized, you're, I think you're much better off finding signed stuff that way for Star Wars than trying to get signed photos on eBay. Because when it comes to scammers faking autographs of stars, it's ridiculous. I mean, how many times have we run into instances where people were saying, this is a signed photo of Natalie Portman from episode whatever – yeah, except it's not because the signature is nothing like her actual signature. It's not only a forgery, it's a bad forgery. <laughs> um, you gotta be careful with that, especially if there's no certificate of authenticity or something, or if there's a certificate of authenticity, but from a place that has no standing whatsoever. Like, I could write, oh yeah, it comes with a certificate of authenticity. Let me get on Microsoft Word and BS something for you. Yeah, it's authentic. Take it. You know? Um, it's a thing you gotta be kind of careful with, but it's cool to have as an addition to the collection, if, if you go on folks uh, Flickr F L I C K R no e dot com slash Nathan P Butler all is one word my collection I've got most of it photographed and up there not all of it I've it's been a while since I did some more photographs but you can see a lot of the signed Star Wars stuff that I've got up there showing the signature um, I've got several that are personalized to me the personalizing thing again you know, it kind of needs to meet needs to mean something. If it just says, a, you know, to Nathan, may the force be with you, and then the name, it's cool for my collection because it's personalized to me. I know no one else is going to try to take it probably because it's personalized to me. But it doesn't have a lot of meaning because it's just, oh, I bumped into this person at a convention. I stood in line. They signed it. That's it. Um, whereas if I've done an interview with somebody, I like to have something signed if I've met them in person for the interview because that kind of reminds me of that personal experience. And there have been times where I've done something that had some level of uh, a personal connection that's been signed. Like when I wrote for Star Wars Tales, Jeremy Barlow, I don't have it sitting in front of me, so I forget the exact wording of what it said, but Jeremy Barlow sent me a copy of his first Star Wars comic, What Sin Loyalty from the Pages of Empire, signed and personalized to me basically like as a way of saying, good job on writing the story for Tales. Um, when all was said and done, we were done working on the Essential Atlas dates. A copy of that was sent over to me that was signed by Dan and Jason and both of the artists, you know kind of saying thank you with that. uh just recently, I got a copy of Kenobi that was signed by John Jackson Miller. We did that x wing scenario, and he sent me one just a like, to Nathan, thanks for all your help, John Jackson Miller. Simple and yet matters because to me, you know that was a fun experience and a cool thing I'm gonna remember as part of my fandom getting a chance to do an x wing scenario with a published Star Wars novelist. Um, but then again, it can go too far. My copy of R.A. Salvatore's Vector Prime. You pop that sucker open, and it says, To Nathan Butler, Star Wars timeline author, you've got your work cut out for you. The future of Star Wars begins here. R.A. Salvatore. This is a grand testament in, what, 1999, I guess, of my post-high school, early college ego. Okay, And I have not shared this, I don't think, with anyone (laughs) until now. So be ready to laugh at my absurdity. This was not meeting the man. This was not somebody who knew what in the hell the Star Wars Timeline Project was. This is right when the Star Wars Timeline Project was like on version 6.0. It had just started adding events at all. It was not nearly as big as it eventually became. Um, This was something where, I don't know if it was StarWars.com or who it was. There was a thing where if you pre-ordered Vector Prime in hardback through them, you could say what you would like Salvatore to personalize on a copy and sign it and send it to you. And that's apparently what I came up with in my (laughs) 19-year-old mind at the time, thinking I was some kind of Star Wars god sitting on the message boards beating up on the dumbasses who didn't know what they were talking about. They don't know an R5 from an R2 (laughs) kind of stuff. Back when I was the douchebag. Uh, I was the troll, I guess you'd call it these days. <laughs> and what's funny is, many years later, I wound up briefly having, uh, contact with him. Uh, it wasn't for an, I can't remember if it was for an interview or not. But I had a chance to talk to him. And I mentioned, he's like, he's like, Star Wars Timeline, why does that sound familiar? This may even be a, shoot, this may even be like a secondhand story, somebody telling me about it. I forget where it came from, like whether it was me talking to him, or me talking to one of the other authors in an interview or something who had talked to him. It, I think it was that actually, but it was the the story was basically that he had eventually seen the Star Wars timeline gold and because it, it was being used by some author on a project as kind of like a side reference to go along with you know looking at stuff off the holocron because it's more chronological than just a database type of thing, and uh, had wondered why that that name sounded so familiar. It's like, yeah, because it was that dumb 19 year old egotist who said hey sign it like this when you didn't know what the hell you were talking about Uh, (laughs) there's (laughs) there's certainly a measure of personalizing needs to be genuine you know if it's just you know to so and so may the force be with you and signed that may be genuine, but it doesn't really seem like it means much to me because it's just the standing in line. But Neither is having something personalized in great detail when it's just, hey, what do you want me to make it say? Um, that's just <laughs> sad. Very, very sad. Um, but I keep it in the collection because to me, it's that great reminder of you got to be humble and stop being such a jerk. Um,
0: it's a great story too. Oh I mean, God, you can't get around horrible.
1: that. And I really don't think I've ever shared that before. I think I've shared it with people in person. I don't think I've ever shared it on the air ever. Um, See, any of look podcast. at
0: that. I, I share. Was it? Was it this? No, it was last one where I share my tooth story, and yeah. now you shared this. It's all about sharing. You yeah. know, the one last signature that I do have from a Star Wars writer is Star Wars Tales number twenty one author himself sent me a book that says long live the podcasters by Mr. Nathan P. Butler. <laughs> <Woo-hoo>!
1: Which <laughs> yeah. always, always strikes me as odd when people want stuff signed by me. Cause I'm like, I haven't really done much of anything, but I've signed copies of the Atlas. I've signed copies of those, uh, comic packs to send out. Most recently I had a guy who, uh, you know, I've written for that Wars, the battle of Phobos series from Grail quest books. That's based on that old decipher card game. I had managed, when doing the research on the series, to really do a lot of stuff tying into individual cards and such, so it really felt authentic. To get pretty much an entire set of that card series, except for one card that was driving me nuts. Uh, it was two cards, and then uh, managed to get it down to one card. It was driving me nuts. And a guy basically said, "Hey, I've got that card. Can I, you know, can I send it to you? you can you can have the card?" but could I send a couple of cards of characters who are in your novellas that were from the card game for you to sign the cards? And I was so tickled by the whole thing, to use your phrase for it, um, that I eventually found as many cards as I could that were referenced in the book, signed all of them, and sent him a nice big batch of them just to say thanks for him to put in a uh, a little thing alongside the book. But nice. that, that's always felt really odd when I've signed. it just it's me. I've had students come up and ask me to sign copies of Greater Good, and I'm just like, Okay, you realize I'm just your teacher, right? I'm just me. Um, the other thing I would mention is the book plates. Those are those things that are basically stickers. They're signed that just stick in the books. Uh, my copy of the Attack of the Clones novelization, oddly enough, another R.A. Salvatore book, um, is signed, sort of, by Salvatore and Hayden Christensen because they're book plates from both of them in there uh, with their signatures on them. My Saga of Seven Suns sets, it's non-Star Wars of Kevin J. Anderson's, some of them are signed and personalized, some of them are just signed, some of them are signed with book plates. I did a thing back on Chrono Radio where I did an audio trailer that I made for Saga of Seven Suns when it was first coming out, and he sent me a signed book and eventually sent me some signed book plates so that I would have them, not only enough for that series, turns out I've got enough for this prequel series he's putting out of them to make sure I have them all signed with book plates. Star Wars-wise, I don't really care whether it's a book plate or not, as long as it doesn't look crappy. But uh, that means I do have a bookplate signed version of, I believe it's Shadows of the Empire is a little sticker that's signed that's inside the book. And then, oddly enough, so is Order 66. And that kind of surprised me because this was another of those order it and you can get it signed things. Though so I guess it was Star Wars shop or something. But it was a big deal at the time. You could order Order 66 in hardback and get it signed by Karen Travis. Except when it arrives, it's not actually the book signed. She must have signed a crap ton of book plates, little stickers, and you got the book and the sticker. And you had to affix the sticker in the book yourself wherever you wanted it, which was bizarre. But I find book plates Mm. are a really cool way, like if you got a bunch of books by an author that you want to have signed, and you don't want to lug them around to a convention, if they're okay with it, if you bring just some stickers, they could sign them and just put them straight in there, and it's essentially having a signed book if you're okay with that method of it. Book plates are a nice happy medium uh, when it comes, I think, to the idea of, well, do I want it signed? Can I get it signed? If it's the only way I can get it signed, would I like to have this or nothing? I think it makes for a good that or nothing that still looks good most of the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, every one of the ones I have in my books, when you open it up, once it's been in there and closed and stuffed into a shelf with a bunch of other books, it presses pretty smooth at this point. I, I mean, I was actually kind of worried that they press two together and you wouldn't be able to open it back up, but that's not the case. And luckily, like it's designed enough that it's pretty flesh, you know, on each side. Like it's not too rigid.
1: That brings us to the last of our questions we've been asked uh, to add into this discussion which is adaptations and tie-ins. Do you need all the media? So from the standpoint of adaptations, if we're talking about either a film into a novel and a comic and many other children's books and things like that, or Han Solo at Star's in. it's a novel They gets a comic adaptation, the Thrawn trilogy. Novels, they get comic adaptations. Do you need to own each of those for a collection in terms of format or just... One, perhaps there's a tie in into this when it comes to tie in stories, but let's start with the adaptation side.
0: I'm going to have to defer to you on this. I mean, I really don't know exactly what in addition on most of these adaptations we're getting. I mean, I know when it comes to, you know, a comic aspect, you know, with uh, the Thrawn trilogy and stuff, there are scenes where you see Kirk, Spock and McCoy and a small little kid running through with a model of the Enterprise, that kind of stuff. Uh I don't know, Nate, why don't you kick us off with this and, and I'll see if anything pops up.
1: I guess for me it depends on what you're actually collecting. What are you expecting to get out of it? If you're just to read the story and know what happened, I don't think you need multiple versions of the same thing. I mean, if you've read the Han Solo at Star's End book, you don't really need to read the comics. If you've read the Thrawn trilogy, you don't really need to read the comics. I would say maybe the opposite direction is, is more likely. Like, if you've read the comics of the Thrawn Trilogy, you'd probably get more out of reading the novels, even if you've already read the comics because of the other details you would get. Kind of a Stover effect type of thing, except from a comic to a novel. But I'm not sure it would go the other way around unless you just want the visuals. Like, I wouldn't see somebody Mm -hmm. reading the novels and feeling like they have to read the comic adaptation of the novels. If you're collecting, though, and you want all the novels or all the comics and that sort of thing, then I would say, yeah, you're going to have to get them because otherwise you have essentially an incomplete set or like a set of whatever you're trying to collect with a little asterisk by it. But just for the experience? No, I think you just one or the other, but go with the one that is the most comprehensive isn't the word I'm looking for. Detail, I guess, the one that's going to give you the most bang for your buck.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and as far as adaptations, I mean, it, it is nice to have the visuals when you're going from the book to the comic, uh, you know, like with. Invasion, You know, seeing what most of those ships look like outside of the source books and that kind of stuff or even the source books. You're just like, oh, okay, that's what it looks like. So you have that aspect. But for adaptations, most of the adaptations I can think of are books being adapted into comics. Uh, I mean, I've always wanted back before Legends became Legends when it was just EU. I always wanted to see Dark Empire adapted as a novel. Like I always thought that would have been so cool because it was it was an interesting twist as it was.
1: And I guess this ties into it. I didn't even think about this as a as an adaptation, but that also gets it. Well, OK, rewinding with films. Yeah. Go with the films, not the adaptations. Uh, most of the time, except for Revenge of the Sith. But something I hadn't even thought of, really, when it came to tie ins was there are not ins, the adaptations. There's the audio dramas, because you mentioned Dark Empire. Dark Empire was never turned into a novel. Or an audiobook. It was turned into an audio drama. And One of my favorite a... Star Wars ones with the whole, yes, my father's destiny is my own and the sound of the lightsaber clattering as he drops to his knees and everything.
0: Mm. And there was additional scenes in that with Kyle Cartan. Mm-hmm. Or not Kyle, but, uh, uh.
1: Cam Soldier's. Cam,
0: yeah, Cam and him. Cause that's, I still to this day, I have, I have a bit of that audio file. A friend of mine said he had it all and when he gave it to me, that, One chapter is like only like half a minute and it cuts in the middle. I'm like, what's going on? I don't even know.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. The audio dramatizations, those I really dig. Um, If you haven't heard the audio dramatizations of the films, you should. It adds some scenes to it. It's interesting to see how it's reworked for audio. But of course, they can't replace the films themselves. But there's a lot of really good Star Wars audio dramas out there. You've got the Dark Forces ones, the Crimson Empire one. you got a couple from Tales of the Jedi, but it's an incomplete story because it stops before you get to the Sith War. Um, you got even, you know, a- among other things, I and mean, there's quite a few of them, just not a ton. Um, oddly enough, they have audio dramas to two of the stories out of Tales from the Most icy Cantina. Night Lily and We Don't Do Weddings, the band tale. For no apparent reason, they just really? pick those. Um, that are done as... Audio dramas, not just audio books, which is kind of odd because there is an audio book version of We Don't Do Weddings also that came with a limited edition set that was the cassettes uh, as audio books of the Thrawn trilogy. In this case, it has like a Millennium Falcon on it and everything. Um, I would say if it's an audio drama, I would definitely check it out for any of these, even if you've already read the book, read the comics, watched the film or whatever. There's just something to an audio drama Mm-hmm. That's fun and a cool experience. It's just not something you encounter every day.
0: No, absolutely, I, I I have to agree with that. I mean, occasionally you'll get a good audiobook. Uh, like I I want to say it was Dark Tide one or two. No, it was two because it was the one where where Anakin really started uh racking up the body count of Vong. You know, when him and Mara were on uh, Belkadan or. Dantooine. No, they were on Dantooine at that point. But yeah, I, I, that, I mean, that was just an audio book. It wasn't really an audio drama, but I, the way that that one played out really felt more like an audio drama because of the way the actor kind of changed his voice for the characters. So, I mean, you were mentioning that earlier about how, you know, a good actor can do that. And those ones to me, like I remember feeling like each character had its own feel in that same way. And, and a good audio drama is that, I mean, they, it's fully cast, as you said before.
1: Yeah, love those things. Inspired me to make several of my own, but mine can't hold a candle to the quality of some of the newer fan audio ones coming out these days, like, uh, uh stuff Joe Harrison's doing, for instance. Um, uh, okay. The other side of that question, aside from adaptations is tie-ins. So in an instance like the force unleashed, the force unleashed Two, uh, shadows of the empire, where they're not straight adaptations per se. It's one story being told in different media with different ways of looking at it, perspectives perhaps on it. Um, In those cases, do you need to check out all the different media and get all those different angles on the story, or should you be able to just sort of pick and choose and perhaps just go with maybe the one version of the story that happens to be in the medium you prefer?
0: I think it's going to go medium you prefer for the most part. I mean, some fans could tell you, well, you know, this point of view is critical to this point and stuff, especially when it comes to a lot of Legends things. Uh, you know, a lot of the tie ins that I think of in this example are like the journals for episode one. Uh, Darth Maul's is really interesting. You know, it ends with his death and Palpatine finds the journal and, and does the last entry kind of thing. Uh, you know, things like that, they're, they're different takes on it. The, a lot of the comics going into episode one. Uh, they had the Episode 1 Adventures, I believe they were called – probably probably isn't called that, but they, they had the ones yeah, where it was – yeah. it was that. okay The yeah, ones that were, were originally
1: to, just named after the characters, right? Yes,
0: exactly. Yeah. That one. Yeah. And so while they're not necessary to any of it, they did add a lot of little cool little details and stuff like that. Uh, so, I mean, it, I think it really comes down to your preference and what you're looking to get out of it. Um, it is nice to have websites and Wikipedia and things like that where you can kind of get like an overall idea on some of these things, especially now that they're legends and going to be harder to find. So you, know, you can really do your homework. Do I really want to know this point of view? Because that's really what it comes about. I mean, I would encourage you to do it. I mean, that's what I do as Defender of the EU. I I encourage you to take the ride, especially now that it's all legends. I mean, you've got this glorious, and I and I'll say it again, you know, damn me some more, all you want. I mean, it, it's just the way I look at it. There's a great big alternate universe sitting here for you to read this continuity, and it's just waiting for you to do it. These, I mean, we might not be getting new stuff, but that's a lot of stuff right there. I I encourage you to read it all, but that's that's just I enjoy it all.
1: I'm gonna have to go with on tie-ins. It is a case by case basis type of thing. I didn't even think about the journals that you mentioned, but yeah, I, I guess that technically is one of these tie-in adaptation type, They're kind of like a, a cross between the two. And some of those were great, and some of them were just like, wow, these are really kind of dull. It's just repeating what we've already seen. I guess that's the, that's the difference between a tie-in versus an adaptation. Those journals tend to, to straddle the line between we're going to be a tie-in versus we're going to just be an adaptation of it. Um, when I think of those types of tie-ins, I'm thinking of the games that I mentioned, and Again, definitely a case-by-case basis thing, right? You take The Force Unleashed. It had a novel. The novel added a little bit of background on some of the characters, but more or less played like a glorified walkthrough of the video game. The video game, of course, was the most dynamic way to get it, and there were, heck, there were even multiple versions of that. I don't think you necessarily Mm -hmm. need to have played every different version of The Force Unleashed, the... Uh, PS3, Xbox 360 version. There was the PS2, PSP, Wii version. There was the Nintendo DS version. There was the iOS version and the Android or whatever they called it version uh, before Android, where it was a uh, you know, just other cell phones that weren't iOS devices yet. Um, well, question:
0: Was the the Wii one was different than the PlayStation one though, right? It, or it yes. had one level different because I it only had, had that
1: um, one. There were. Uh, levels where basically you returned to the Jedi temple and did some training that only appeared initially in those versions otherwise the levels were pretty much the same story just designed different and the controls were different um and those are on top of eventually getting that Jedi temple add-on level for the first game
0: so well, and, it's actually like
1: one of different times there one of
0: them was the cave in degaba had like a different room or the cave itself uh that's
1: cause... in the second one but in the second one yeah if you're playing on the Wii there's actually a, a segment to play there and on the other systems it's basically just a glory just a cutscene. oh okay
0: yeah uh, I just remember being really upset because I had made that decision early on to go with the Wii for the kids and, and thinking that game was going to be really fun and, and to a degree it was being able to throw people around was fun but Overall, when I was hearing about what was being offered on the other consoles, I was like, I screwed up.
1: You know what's funny is I, had, I, I hadn't I realized we were sort of the same in that I got a Wii because of The Force Unleashed. Because I heard it was coming out. I found out that one of my favorite games ever, Resident Evil 4, had a Wii edition where you could point and shoot. I was excited for that. So I jumped in and bought a Wii. I didn't go get a PS3 or anything like that. I wasn't going to spend that kind of money yet, but I got a Wii. And then <laughs> I found out that The Force Unleashed was going to be Big time different between that and the PS3. Damn. And went and bought a <laughs> PS3 eventually. And I wound up with all these different versions of the Force Unleashed that wound up being pre-ordered. Um, I think from a gameplay perspective, obviously, in that case, there is a difference with the Wii because there's that visceral motion control. No matter how crappy the graphics are compared to the other ones, the motion controls were awesome. Um, but story-wise, the game, whatever version you played, was that core of the story. The novel was kind of a glorified walkthrough of the game that didn't really add much of anything like you would expect a novel to do. And the comic added a framing story around it and helped give us some of the dates that kept things straight of that game. So in that case, you know, get the comic, play the game, who cares about the novel? Force Unleashed 2, you've got the novel that follows more of Juno's side of things that's not in the game at all. Then you got the game itself, and then the comic follows Boba Fett's adventures tying in with the rest of it. So in that case, get all three of them. The the seminal moment in Star Wars that really got this going, though, of course, was Shadows of the Empire. The one that really sort of set the bar for this type of crossover uh, between media. And on that one, that's another one. I would say check them all out because you had comics focusing on the Bounty Hunters, a novel focusing on the film characters mostly, and the game following Dash Rendar. And they all interwove. Um, So if it is something designed as a multimedia experience, like The Force Unleashed 2, to a lesser degree, one, and definitely Shadows of the Empire, I think you should try to check out as many of those different types as you can because you give a more complete view of the story. But if it's something like those journals, if it's something that feels like an afterthought, cash in to make some money by novelizing something and adding a tiny bit, or making a kid's book of something and adding a tiny bit like those journals – In those cases, case-by-case basis, but usually, there's not a lot of point to it. Unless you're looking for little tidbits of new continuity stuff to add to a timeline, for instance.
0: now that about wraps up this episode of star wars beyond the films we'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom remember you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the star wars report website second airborne division of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes. Which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films, or just type in "Stars Beyond the Films" in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. It's our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you, fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and/or EU slash Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off you can always email us directly at sw beyond films at star wars fanworks.com now lastly before we go we want to mention to you our audible trial if you go to www.audibletrial.com star wars report you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles you can explore the star wars expanded universe aka legends or any other genre without risk of being stuck with the book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, it has been Mark and Whistler. That's okay buddy, I know, you've been broadcasting this call for four hours, I know it, I know, your power cell's depleted, it's okay. Say goodnight. And Nathan thanks for listening and may the force be with you
1: and don't quote us the odds bye you guys
0: <laughs> <laughs> or that listeners going to just run out of juice and not get the broadcast out leon star wars beyond the films a lot of comics a good chunk
1: except we didn't cover comics
0: Shit. a lot of books a good chunk i gotta put my show notes up i'm probably not ready for this <laughs> i was i was ready i don't know what happened <laughs> it's all whistler's fault yeah oh really Okay, now this is my computer's fault.
1: I'm
0: trying to get the formats to load, but it's loading, 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 loading. There we go. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode.
1: Did you hear that? I don't know, I just know you stopped.
0: Okay, good. Oh, I I slapped my phone into the microphone stand.
1: The whole thing was vibrating. What? I, could, I was I expecting could, you to go, what was that? <laughs> What's funny is I didn't hear the thunk, but, and I kid you not, this is the way I thought it in my head, I thought, I could hear the f*** in his voice. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> that's awesome. Hey,
0: but enough about how you got here. I got, I got the show started. What the hell? Why not? <laughs> and with me, like the chunky baby woo. No, that's I got nothing. <laughs> and with me, like a comment that's supposed to be witty, but isn't here, the Count of. God. I cannot just think of when I'm off the fly here. You
1: just can't do it. I can't do it. If you are sucking in the great. I mean, I don't want to say sucking in, I'm probably going to get a lot of crap for that. <laughs> if you're sucking like. Nope, nope. I'm not going to make a pedophile joke again. I'm not. I, I told myself I wouldn't.
0: Put it down, dude. Don't Uber it.
1: I've got a hardcore. Hardcore? Yeah, guys. Yeah, hardcore, bro. Yeah. Uh. Okay, I'm back. I had to drain the Dianoga and it almost didn't throw Luke back. <laughs> Don't even know what the hell hate that it. means.
0: I hate it when a coolant line breaks.
1: Uh, what's What really kind of got me thinking about. Thinking, yeah, my story just came out. But what, what really got <laughs> my thinking by that a, a while was that bad? still water. It was real deep. <laughs> <laughs> if you read the Throne and <laughs> Shield, you'll read that.